If you thought last Saturday was busy, the past seven days in the NHL were June 29th, 2016, loaded with steroids, and we sadly don't have enough time to talk about everything because, one, we have a special guest, and two, we have the two big events that everyone was talking about. First of all, the Seattle expansion draft, and then the highly anticipated 2021 NHL draft class. The draft is done. We know who's been picked, so grab a hot beverage, get a snack, chill out, and we're going to break everything down for you. Episode 279 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Them Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Uh, so just a disclaimer before we start this episode as to what's going to happen moving forward. The offseason is in full swing already. Uh, we had probably more noteworthy trades than draft picks uh, over the weekend. So here's what we're going to do. Next week, start of free agency will have already happened. We're going to break down the key signs, the key trades, whatever we don't get to. We are going to start, I think it's an eight-episode off-season series where we tackle four teams per episode. We're going to go around the league. We're going to look at each team, their top prospects, what they did in the off-season, how they look like moving forward, et cetera, et cetera. And if there's any big trades or signings that we didn't mention, we're going to go through those when we get to the off-season breakdown. So just a disclaimer for that. Meantime, we're going to talk about the expansion draft today, the NHL draft today. And joining us to talk about that, Brett, we have Victor Nuno, uh, one of the two voices you will hear on the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. Victor, great to have you back, man. How are yep. you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Steve. It was, uh, it was a really fun last couple of days in the NHL with the, all the <laughs> crazy trades in the draft. It was. I would imagine yeah. just as hectic trying to navigate through them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure, yeah. It was, I don't know what, I feel like it was like the craziest week just because of all the trades. And then you yeah. have the expansion draft, and then you have this, uh, you know, the NHL draft, which is always pretty crazy. But this year, it's always, uh, it, this year, it's especially crazy just because like scouting was so different. And there was a yeah. unique season, like a couple of these guys, the OHL didn't even play a season yep. or any games. Uh, I think a couple of the QMJHL uh, games were cut short as well. So it's like um, yeah. you have a sense, you can't really get a sense of a lot of these players, uh, which we'll get into. Um, also on that note with Steve, that we are going to talk about free agent, like because of free agent days open next week. So we, we are going to talk about that, but that, series will start the following week after that um yeah but yeah it's it's going to be fun because um as victor i know is a huge fan we're gonna start to talk about the prospects and um about each team like we did last year but just in like a condensed amount um because we can't go, devote a full episode like we did the last time but um but it should be fun and if you guys want to get full details, then yeah, you should definitely listen to Fantasy Hockey Life, um, which Victor co-hosts. And also, Steve and I have made a guest appearance uh, um, 
within the last year. So, mm-hmm. um, so can't confirm. Very very fun time. It is very fun. Yes. Um, all right. So let's let's get started here. Um, so we're just going to talk about the the top ten uh, picks, and then I have a few questions here. Um, and yeah, we'll just go over the top ten at least. Um, it's also pretty exciting because Victor is a Sharks fan who was drafted in the top 10, and also Steve, as you guys know, is an Ottawa fan um, who also got in uh, the top 10. So we will talk about all those details here um, to begin with. Uh, the first pick um, was uh, from the Buffalo Sabres, and that was Owen Power. Uh, this wasn't too much of a surprise because um, you know, that, that's pretty much every mock draft I was looking at. Um, it seemed like he was going to be the first pick. And, um, and yeah, so Owen Power, he went to uh, University of Michigan. Uh, he, in 26 games, uh, he had 16 points. He's uh, 6'5", which is pretty nuts, um, and 214 weight. Um, I'm 6'5", but not 214, so... Uh, anyways, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a pretty big uh, guy. And I, I see some comparables to Victor Hedman here. I don't think he'll ever reach that level, but, um, but yeah, I think at this, at this point in time, it makes sense for a team like Buffalo because, you know, Sam Reinhardt, which we'll get into next week, um, and, uh, Ristolainen both got traded this week. Um, and yeah, it, like it makes sense to have someone else, um, in the system as they start to like rebuild for the fourth time (laughs) again. Um, and yeah, this guy, like I was expecting more of an offensive potential on, on this kid, but at the same time, I think, uh, this is a pretty good pick for them. And like he does, he has an all around game. Um, so I think this is a good pick for, for them to start out their franchise. And I think in this, this draft in particular, there's no real consensus. So, so this is a good pick. So Victor, what do you have on Owen power? I definitely don't think they bungled this pick by any means. I think that, you know, six, five great skating defensemen don't grow on trees, especially um, guys with uh, the hockey sense and the, and the abilities that Owen power has. I think one of the biggest things with him is his maturity. I mean, playing as a freshman at Michigan, which is which is tough to do in college, he got better and better. And then uh, I was sort of lukewarm on him. I thought he was a top five, but I, I wasn't convinced he was number one overall material. But his performance at the World Championship was really impressive against men. And he, they played him more and more throughout that tournament. And the more they played him, the better Canada did. So that, that says a lot. Uh, I also have some other numbers here. At Michigan, he had a dominant 61% Corsi with a expected goal differential that was basically two to one offense, um, offensive shot share to defensive. That's really impressive. And a 93% pass accuracy. You look at all his metrics, guys like Mitch Brown track this stuff, and they're basically all standard deviation above the mean. Things like expected goals, assists, turnover rate, transition play. He's just a really solid player. I don't know that he's like a true number one guy, but he's like a middle pairing floor at the worst. He's just really solid. He kind of reminds me of someone like Tyler Myers, someone who's big, rangy, can play really well, 
Um, but I would not expect much offense from him. I think the offense can be there, but he's not like an offensively gifted offensive defenseman kind of guy. But yeah, I like the pick. I don't think it was bad. Um, it's probably not who I would have taken at first overall, but I also don't really, I don't have a problem with it at all. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the Aaron Ekblad type. Like, all these descriptions feels like how we were describing Aaron Ekblad, where it's like, you probably, um, he might be, he does have potential, but who knows, who really knows at this point. So, uh, Steve, do you have anything else to add on Owen Power? So, interesting thing about Owen Power, he is the fourth NCAA player to be uh, taken first overall in NHL history. Joe Murphy in 86 with Detroit was the first. Everyone remembers Rick DiPietro in 2000 with the Islanders and Eric Johnson 2006 with the Blues was the most recent uh, name to be taken first overall out of the NCAA. Um, and in terms of defense and being taken first overall, uh, most recently in 2018, uh, the Sabres selected uh, Rasmus uh, Dahlin uh, first overall. So. Uh, they're not used to uh, drafting first overall, but it seems that when they do, they mostly take defensemen. Um, what I like about Oren Power is that not only is he coachable, which is always good to have, but he's always eager to learn more. And he constantly wants to become better and become great. And when you have that mindset, um, it's easy to see what makes it so appealing to draft this guy and Buffalo right now is in a very tough position where you have Sam Reinhardt leaving town, Rasmus Ristolainen and doing the same, uh, very likely Linus Ulrich when free agency opens, he's going to do the same. And Jack Eichel trade rumors have been rampant and everyone expects that once the season starts next year, he's going to be gonzo as well. And they're in a dog eat dog division. They need all the assets they can get their hands on. Now, that being said, Owen Power isn't ready for the NHL yet. They shouldn't rush him. They should let him develop in the NCAA, in the other ranks first. But based on what I've seen from the World Championships, this is a guy that continues to get better and better and better. And if he did what he did in his first year with Michigan, I'm sure year two, year three, and year four, that development's just going to continue to improve. He's going to get more chances on the big stages to succeed and eventually when he's ready he is going to become a mainstay on that Sabres defense which frankly can't rely on Rasmus Dahlin all the time they need to give him some support right. uh, Dahlin is a left-handed shot so is Owen Power so you're looking at a guy that can probably take the load off of Dahlin's shoulders for the most part be a, a 1A or a 1B uh, guy you know, if he's not playing first pairing minutes, he can play second pairing minutes. Um, they could have gone center if, especially with the possibility of Jack Eichel leaving and Sam Reinhardt already gone and his, um, his level of experience that he provided center this year too. Um, they really need some help down the middle. But I, I think the Sabres team eventually is going to have a lot of holes to fill. So... You, you might as well just take the best player available, and I feel that's exactly what they did. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, so the next pick here is um, actually Owen Power's teammate, uh, Matty Beneers, or Matthew Beneers, um, who also went to University of Michigan. 
Uh, he had uh, 10 goals, 14 assists, or that's 24 points in 24 games, so a point per game. Um, and <laughs> you'll notice a theme because uh, like the first five picks had four Michigan people. Um, we'll get to Luke Hughes in a second, but uh, he counts <laughs> at least. Um, and uh, but yeah, this is an int- uh, so he goes so Matty Beneers goes to uh, Seattle. Uh, this would be Seattle's first pick um, in the draft. He's also from Hingham, Massachusetts. Um, the funny a little side note here, but um, I I was actually watching the draft with Victor, and I, I kept on saying his name is uh, Beniers and. Um, and, and then Victor corrected me, and a, a bunch of other people corrected me. But it, it would, it's fitting, or kind of ironic, that it's not that how you pronounce it, because like that would be a, a perfect Boston accent with the um, not pronouncing the R's at the end there. But anyways, <laughs> um, uh, Manny Beneers uh, appears to be like the most uh, sound... Uh, player like he's a great two-way forward he um, has you know he's uh, he has like a face-off machine he also was in the world juniors where he had three points in seven games in the world juniors but you, you have to uh, mention that like he was on a line with like or he was on a team that had Trevor Zegris and Cole Caulfield and all those other like prime prospects as well so um, he didn't get so much time, but he, he definitely held his own uh, when he was on the ice. And you can tell he's one of those guys who has like a 200-foot game, as they say. He's often compared to, to like uh, Jonathan Taze and things like that. Um, I keep on seeing that like he will be a, um, like, you know, he's not going to be a top one center um, or he won't be a center that's going to be on the first line. But at the same time, when you look at the Seattle team, which we'll get into in a second, um, he'll definitely get the opportunity because there's not too many prospects there and the center depth isn't so great. So we'll definitely be able to see if uh, Matty Beniers is going to be that one-line center, um, which I think he could he could realistically do. But I am curious if maybe eventually they do get like a true first-line center um, to help him out. But... Um, but that would be the only real knock on him. But it does seem like he's going to be like a, like a pretty safe bet that he's going to be a good NHLer. I don't know if he's going to go back to Michigan. Like I think Owen Power has already said that he he's going to go back for the second year. But um, but I feel like he's the most this Matty Beniers is the most NHL ready player. So uh, Steve, what do you have on Matty Beniers? Yeah, in advance, this podcast is not sponsored by the University of Michigan, nor do we cheer for the University of Michigan. You're just going to hear it an awful lot in the first 10 picks because there are a lot of those 10 picks. In fact, I think almost every single top five, I think the only one that doesn't have ties to the University of Michigan in the top five is Mason McTavish. Um, But everyone outside of that guy in the top five as ties to the University of Michigan. So you're just going to hear Michigan a lot. I apologize in advance if you don't like Michigan. Uh, but yeah, uh, Matt, Matt Beniers, interestingly enough, uh, Owen Power, his buddy, was ranked number three by elite prospects, number two by recruit scouting, number seven by Dover prospects, and number three by smart scouting. In each of those 
um, ranking tables that Owen Power was not ranked number one. Matt Beniers was ranked number one. And in every single one of the lists that um, uh, Owen Power was ranked number one, Matt Beniers, uh, his ranking uh, kind of differed. Um, he had four number two rankings, a pair of number three rankings, a pair of number four rankings, and number seven, and one uh, had him at number nine, my guessing is the team picking and the positional need had a factor on that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, for the most part, this guy was going to be a top three, top five pick in most mock drafts. And if you look at the depth down the middle for Seattle, and I know it's going to probably change because of the cap space and as the offseason moves along, it's not looking very deep at the moment. You look at someone like Yanni Gord. He's a slam dunk choice to take draws. He got hundreds of reps last season in Tampa Bay. Been in the league for obviously a few years. And the winning environment is obviously there. But it's a coin flip outside of that. Um, yeah, you have Jared McCann, but you also have names like Colin Blackwell and Mason Appleton and Nate Bastian, who all of them last year took fewer than 100 draws. In fact, Morgan Geeky, who's not even listed on the current roster, he's listed on the prospect roster for the Kraken. He got 141 face-offs or something along those lines during uh, last season in Carolina. So... They have a shortage of face-off ready options down the middle. So I can see the argument why Matt Beniers could be NHL ready and he could slot into the Kraken right off the word go. But I think for the most part, it should be better to keep him at the University of Michigan for at least another year. You're looking at a guy that can transport the puck in a very dynamic fashion. He can do so at a high pace. Um, his crossover acceleration, from what I've read, is pretty good. He can change skating tempos with his rushed patterns, um, and that makes him very slippery, very elusive for defenders to contain him. And you don't see him cheat all that often. He's a good two-way forward that prides himself on the defensive side of the puck as well as the offensive side. And just a very small details guy. Really pays attention to those small details. And similar to Owen Power, seems to improve every single year at every single level. So I definitely think there's a very good ceiling uh, for Matt Beniers. He could be a solid number one, number two center for the Kraken moving forward. Uh, this year, probably best not to rush him and just to see how he plays in Michigan, just give him more confidence at those top levels and see where he's at um, once the season's done. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about if he's ready to play uh, when we talk about Seattle eventually in this uh, episode. So we'll talk more right. about that eventually. Yeah. Uh, Victor, Just a little precursor for exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're kind of, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Victor, what do you have the, about uh, Ben Ears to add? Yeah, I, yeah, I love this pick. I think I think that was really smart. He's, he's probably the... The guy that I would choose to, to start my franchise, maybe uh, the step, I think that that a lot of consideration for me. Uh, I don't care that he went 20th. I think that that was insane uh, and should have gone much earlier. But, you know, I think that Beniers is absolutely going to be a two-way stud center and that he has so many projectable traits. I agree that he should probably go back to Michigan, but we'll talk more about that later. But when you look at, like, he has so many things like with his tracking data, his transition game is just elite. I mean, he is so good at creating turnovers, 
turning the game, the flow of the game the other way and just creating so many dynamic chances. He is a really fun player to watch. I don't know that the offense is, is ever going to super be there, but like, even though he's, he's kind of more of a two way center, he's, he was still an impressive point per game at Michigan. I mean, that doesn't just happen. Right. So like there is some offense there, even though he doesn't have like maybe elite offensive skills, he is uh, more than capable at generating. And I think a lot of it is just going to come from, you know, creating turnovers in the offensive zone, catching guys, you know, with bad passes and turning it directly into offense. So his chances uh, in the offensive zone may be better quality just because of the opportunity he creates. But I think like on his own in the offensive zone, he isn't like super creative and, and uh, he definitely is better in transition. So I think it kind of depends on how they use him. Hopefully they have and acquire a number one center to play in front of him. If not, he probably could push up to that role, but you know, every team wants a number one center. So we'll see if Seattle can acquire that or not, but uh, yeah, definitely love, uh, definitely love many veneers. Cool. The next pick is the Anaheim ducks and they draft uh, Mason McTavish. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, it, it's, it feels like McTavish had been gaining some steam, uh, like, you know, in, in around June and July, especially, but uh, he actually went to, he was in the OHL, but then he went to the Swiss League um, and he played for EHC Olsen, I think that's how you pronounce that name. Um, and uh, he had 11 points in 13 games, nine of those points were goals. Um, and he also played in the World Juniors that year, uh, this year uh, for Canada. Um, with 11 points in seven games. I'm also seeing here that even though he's considered Canadian, um, he was bo actually born in Switzerland. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting. And if you look at him, he, uh, he has uh, quite a head of hockey hair. Um, it's pretty, like it's a huge Afro, I think. Um, anyways, uh, aside from his looks, um, he, uh, it, it makes sense for him to be in the Ducks, I guess. Uh, I feel like the Ducks have, they have an okay prospect pool. You know, they do have Jamie Drysdale, of course, Zegris is in there too. Uh, they have Lucas Dostal, but they don't really have too many other prospects. Um, and he he's a good fit for them in the Ducks. And I'll talk a little bit more about uh, their draft as a whole, but um, I, I like this pick though for them because I feel like this could be the like a second line center or even a winger to Trevor Zegers and this could be a nice pick for them in the long run um, if they decide to change McTavish to a winger which is definitely possible as well uh, so Victor what do you what do you have on McTavish I think this was probably the first reach uh, of the draft and I, not that I didn't like it. A lot of people, I know, I know, um, Bob McKenzie's list had him rated super high and that was a bit of a shock to some people. And, you know, obviously he didn't have like a ton of, uh, of games this year, which is kind of hard to evaluate him. And I think the biggest thing of course, is that U18 tournament where he was just absolutely a beast and really helped Canada win that, uh, that trophy um and and it's hard to kind of evaluate his 13 games in in switzerland so um that just makes it really kind of hard to know but i think overall he probably is the next best center available if they do keep him at center 
Um, I kind of thought that Anaheim would go D, but uh, I guess they did take Drysdale last year, so uh, maybe maybe this is more of a need. Uh, I think it's a bit early, as I mentioned. I thought there were some some higher upside guys on the on the board, but I, I think that McTavish could be a really good like matchup forward and carry more of the heavy lifting, um, sort of uh, defensively, because I think he is a pretty good defensive forward, and that might help Zegris, uh, you know, get easier assignments and have more often. So he, he definitely has some grit too, which, you know, not, um, I guess Anaheim has some guys like that, but his, his best skill, according to Mitch Brown's data, is his expected primary assists are off the charts. So he's definitely more of a setup guy, although he did have a fair number of goals in that tournament uh, for Canada. He had five goals and six assists. So he, he, he could certainly put the puck in the net too. So I thought that they left a, a little bit on the board, but um, also, you know, he, he's going to be... He's going to be someone that Ducks fans are going to enjoy watching. He's he's going to be a pain in the butt to play against. So, yeah, Mason McDavish, a little earlier than I would have taken him, but uh, but okay with that one. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think of like the next next uh, six players, I feel like could uh, the Anaheim could have taken better, and I would have been okay with it. But uh, yeah, I think um, I, I I still think it's a it's a pretty good pick. Um, uh, Steve, what else do you have on McTavish? When I hear pain in the butt, I'm reminded of Corey Perry, and I don't know if he's going to be Corey Perry good, but um, based on what I've been hearing from Cam Robinson on EP ringside, and he delves uh, pretty deep into Mason McTavish's game, so if you have some time, uh, check out that article. It should be a pretty good read. Uh, but he basically goes in depth to explain why this is the guy – that always seems to make the right play at the right time and always seems to get to the right place every single shift. And most drafts, most mock drafts had him in, in the seventh overall, the 10th overall range by the looks of it. But, and, and I guess that's why maybe this was a bit of a surprise pick by the ducks at the same time. I feel like this is a player that they really, really need because they have the flashy defenseman with uh, Jamie Drysdale. They have the guy that makes you go whack with all of his decision-making and skills and all those attributes, they have a guy like that named Trevor Zegras, and I'm sure everyone knows his name. If you don't, you certainly will. Um, but they need guys like Mason McTavish in the lineup moving forward, and a guy that makes those small plays in key situations, um, every team needs that, frankly. And he's got this trademark move where he can move one way, drag the other guy into that direction, then force that defender to turn their feet. And the next thing you know, uh, Mason's team's on the attack um, just before you can blink your eyes. So I, I feel like he's a, a glue guy that can thrive in all situations. And not only can he thrive in all situations, but um, his maturity at various levels of hockey is very, very noticeable. Um, if you look at his uh, numbers with the CCHL's Pembroke Lumber Kings, they're very brief, but uh, that solid stint leads to a pretty solid rookie season with the OHL's Peterborough Peets in 2019-2020. Of course, COVID cut that short, but in those uh, 40, 50, however many games with the Peterborough Peets, he gets 29 goals and 13 assists for a total of 42 points. That's his rookie season. And this year he goes to Switzerland and he records nine goals 
this isn't a league amongst men. This isn't in a league where you've got future up-and-coming NHL prospects and you've got a bunch of scouts in the building constantly watching them. This is a league built with men, and he's able to score nine goals and 11 points in 13 games, followed by seven points in four playoff games. That's pretty decent, and I feel that holds a lot more weight when you're evaluating um, talents, peers, in your draft class. And I think that's also a pretty big reason why they thought, okay, this guy's already playing in a league amongst men and he's scoring at a near point per game pace. He's, he's going to be ready to deliver. And I think his final audition, the U18 World Championships, was probably the cherry on top for Bob Murray and the Ducks organization. Uh, that Team Canada was loaded with talent. It had the likes of Connor Bedard and Shane Wright. And if you haven't heard those names, Shane Wright's a potential first overall pick in 2022. Connor Bedard's a potential first overall pick in 2023. And yes, those guys drove the boat. But Mason McTavish, in seven games played on that Team Canada, had 11 points, five goals, six assists, 11 points in seven games. And he was named a top three player on that roster. So, um, yeah, I really like this pick for Anaheim. Nice. Um, all right, so now the fourth pick is uh, Luke Hughes, uh, Jack's brother. Uh, and, of course, he's going to Jack's team, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, Steve alluded to this, and I also kind of alluded to this when we were talking about power. Uh, Luke Hughes is actually also going to Michigan, which should be fun because I believe Owen Power has already said that he's going to go to Michigan. So even if uh, Beniers or Kent Johnson don't go there, it would be pretty cool to see that pairing or you know just just those two guys um, in University of Michigan. Um, this was also pretty fun because uh, they showed uh, Luke Hughes and both Quinn um, and Jack were there uh, watching him get drafted and. Uh, you could tell that both of them were super, super happy that they were, uh, that Luke Hughes was drafted and, and all that stuff. Uh, Quinn Hughes wasn't, like, he did seem excited, but Jack Hughes rightfully was very excited. And apparently he went, uh, Jack went to uh, New Jersey, or the GM, um, I'm blanking on the name, um, and said that they needed... Tom Fitzgerald. Tom Fitzgerald, thank you. Um, that if Luke Hughes wasn't drafted by then, uh, he should have been. He should be the pick because they want to play it together. So that's yeah. Be- Jack was super excited when it happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, you could tell how excited he was, and uh, Quinn was too, which was interesting. But um, yeah, so those Vancouver and New Jersey games will be a lot more exciting uh, now. Um, and uh, yeah, so so that was. A good pick. Uh, speaking of his skill here, um, he uh, he played for the uh, under eighteen uh, national team for the U.S. team um, de- development team, um, where he had uh, six goals and twenty eight assists. That's thirty four points in thirty eight games. Um, he also played a bit in the USHL, where he had fifteen points in eighteen games. His, uh, his season got cut short because he was injured for a bit. But, um, but even still, like, you know, I don't think it's going to uh, hurt him in the long run. 
uh, because because of that injury or there's any real concern there. But um, but like yeah, he's he's <laughs> when you looked um, at when he was drafted, he was clearly taller than both Quinn and Jack Hughes. Um, he's six two, um, in fact. But um, so so that's that's definitely something. But I'm sure there there will always be those comparisons. The other thing of note, which is interesting, is that he was he's 17 years old right now. So he just made the cutoff. Um, and I, I guess I, I know Victor knows a lot more about this stuff. But I guess he uh, he um, like he loves these kind of guys, as he'll probably tell you. So um, who are like who are so young, um, but still eligible to be drafted um, in this year. So. Uh, it just adds more for the essential there. But, Steve, what do you have on Luke? So, um, it, it's interesting about Luke Hughes because um, prior to, I think it was around the time the Lightning won the Stanley Cup, actually. At that time, there was not a single sibling pairing on the same team where you had at least two brothers playing on the same team. And now within the span of a couple of weeks, we have five in the league. Two of them are on Chicago. You have Caleb and Seth Jones, Kirby and Colton Dock. Uh, Seattle has Kale and Hayden Fleury on the back end. Colorado has Kale and Taylor McCarr. And the fifth pairing is Luke and Jack Hughes on the Devils. And um, obviously very, very exciting times uh, for the Hughes family. And, and for Devils fans, they should be excited too because they've got themselves a player. Uh, when you look at his skating posture, it looks very, very comfortable when it comes to his strides. Um, they don't seem disorganized or rusty. His skating habits are good. He's able to collect the puck in stride. He skates through his passes. And his movement, he's able to weaponize uh, to the point where he can draw opposing defenders to his orbit. And that creates more space for uh, his teammates to excel in and their avenues, which is the success, the key, the ingredient to a very successful offense when you've got possession dictators like that in the lineup. Um, and what separates, I think, Jack and Quinn from Luke Hughes is, like you said, his size. He's six foot two. Jack's five eleven. Quinn is five foot ten. And I think the ability to use his body a little bit more is definitely going to serve him well on the Devils' blue line. A Devils' blue line that. I think has a lot of question marks. You look at Will Butcher's impressive rookie season. It's kind of t- his numbers have kind of taken a dive since then. PK Subban's previous season was not great at all. This year was a little better, but compared to his contract, it's still not to snuff compared to what he was doing uh, with Montreal in his early seasons with Nashville as well. Uh, Damon Severson is probably their best shutdown defenseman at the moment. They did bring in Ryan Graves, but Ryan Murray likely out of the picture at some point. And Sammy Vatnin, names like that here and there, they've been given chances to cash in and it just hasn't worked out. So he's going to be at some point expected to be a key part of that blue line, along with Ty Smith and... I definitely think he's he's got the potential to be, like Ty Smith, um, a part of a two-headed monster on that Devil's Blue line. And I, I, I think the physical attributes certainly help, but um, I think the strong skating, the ability to make plays happen, 
Um, it's it's all going to translate into lots of success, and I think it's probably going to take a couple of years of development, at least one in the NCAA, maybe two, maybe you put him in the AHL for a little bit. But I, I think overall, uh, the Devils made the right choice. They took the best player available, and um, yeah, I, I like the pick overall. I like the pick. Yeah, I didn't really talk too much about the Devils or how he fits in with the Devils, but yeah, uh, it, Devils need some defensemen, even though it's probably he's probably we won't see him until maybe like two years from now or three years from now, but uh, he should be a good pick once he's ready. Um, so, Victor, what else do you have on Luke Hughes? Well, one of the things is that, as, as uh, Stephen kind of mentioned, this actually, the familial connections in this draft inspired me to write a story about that on the Hockey Writers. So I'm already working on that. Those are the brothers. There's also a couple other um, brothers that aren't on the same team, Drew and Peyton Krebs. And then there's the Kapanins that are cousins. And then there's all the sons like uh, Josh Doan and uh, Chase Dillman, Cole Sillinger. So there's a whole lot of interesting connections. But I love 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 that new jersey did this i love that they're gonna reunite the hughes brothers uh i i think that there's some interesting things about luke though first of all everyone's gonna ask and he is not quinn if you're thinking you're getting quinn hughes you're not getting quinn hughes he is taller he is a great skater but he doesn't think the game like jack or quinn he doesn't quite have the ability to see the plays ahead of time and to find and identify the trouble and work around it. He he often skates out of trouble and skates into trouble. And he can skate right into opponent's traps and checks and, and just turn the puck over. So, you know, that stuff can be taught. He certainly has the family and the resources to be able to figure some of that stuff out. And so I definitely have hopes for him. And the fact that, as, as you alluded to, he's like six days away from being eligible for next year's draft. And so He's, he's got a long way to go, uh, and, and, and in terms of, like, he, he certainly has a lot of potential. And if you line up, like, his equivalencies, I just said that he's not Quinn, but, of course, it's fun to compare him to Quinn since they both played at Michigan and since they're brothers. And Quinn was actually very old for his draft year. So if you take Luke's equivalency from this year and you regress it back a year because he basically is almost eligible for next year's draft, then he actually did better this year than Quinn did in his draft minus one year. So if that were the case, then there's certainly a huge potential to bust out here and to be uh, a really high value pick. That being said, I, I don't think I would have taken him here if I if, if there wasn't for the brother connection. Like, I, I love it. I think that's great. Um, I think you could have taken, uh, you know, Grant Clark, who also has a brother on New Jersey, Graham Clark. That could have been fun. Of course, not as high profile. Oh, as yeah, right. Jack or anything like that. But uh yeah, so I love it for the brotherly thing. I'm not sure that um, I, I I always worry, and I know that some people have said this before, but one of the hardest things to uh, fix is like hockey IQ and processing speed. That's something that often can't be dramatically improved, whereas skating is something that can be improved. So skating is great, his size is great, but one of the hardest things to fix, I'm just not sure he's going to get there. I hope he does, and I think he has the potential to do it. So. Uh, a little bit of concern there for me on Luke. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like it, it would be like a bad look if uh, the New Jersey Devils just passed on a Jack Hughes's brother. I don't think Jack would have been very happy if, even though it might have been the right choice to go with Brant Clark, I, I don't know if Jack Hughes would have been happy. So 
So maybe that's a big reason why they did that, because they wanted to make sure their future star is um, happy. Um, all right, so now we'll go to uh, Kent Johnson. Uh, he was a bit overshadowed by uh, Owen Power and, uh, and Matty Beniers uh, this year, but he did play on the same team, um, and he still was pretty good if you look at his stats as well. Um, he had uh, 27 points in 26 games, um, 18 assists, and 9 goals, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, it's kind of a shame that Michigan just didn't make the playoffs because they were cut. Well, they didn't make the playoffs, but uh, it was canceled because of COVID. Uh, a couple of their players got COVID, so they couldn't. Um, they just uh, had to forfeit. But um, so it's kind of a shame that we didn't get to see what they would they would be capable of doing in the playoffs. But it looks like they're going to be pretty good this year if even uh, three of those five uh, four players that we're mentioning are uh, coming back, which is definitely possible. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, I also like this pick, though, um, because uh, as in terms of, like, he, Ken Johnson is a center, uh, he, uh, and I feel like Columbus, uh, with the trades that we'll talk about next week, um, they they made a few trades, especially the Seth Jones one, where it, it seems like, they are looking for, um, you know, they're, they're rebuilding. And uh, they did get some good prospects and stuff like that. But, um, but that was a big thing, even when they were trading Pierre-Luc Dubois. Of course, Kent Johnson's still a few more years left, so, uh, years away. So he, he won't be ready right now. But um, I do like the fact that he is a center and Columbus is in desperate need for it. So, Victor, what do you have on Ken Johnson? Well, I hate to break it to you, but I'm not sure he's a center in the NHL. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, he might be. That's possible. He might be. You never know. Uh, yeah, you never uh, really so, know with any of these centers or, for, or wingers. That's true. Yeah, you never really know. But I, I don't see him being a center. I think that he is an exciting player. He probably has the best hands of anyone in this draft. He's got amazing vision and offensive creativity. He is the kind of player that can pull you out of your seat and just go, wow, like, I can't believe he just did that. Um, so that's fun. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see someone like that in Columbus. So you certainly had a taste of that when Panarin was there and uh, has, has been lacking for a lot of time uh, when, when he wasn't there. Maybe uh, you have to go back several years to think of someone like that. But, uh, you know, I think that it's a little early for him. I think five was, was earlier than I thought. I thought he was a top 10 guy, but uh, maybe not five. Uh, but I think he's he's probably one of the few guys in this draft that could be a true a true top line winger, and there aren't many of those guys. I also think that he probably has one of the lowest floors of anyone in this draft because he needs a lot of work. Like he, defensively, he's not great. He's just it's funny because he has such great offensive vision and problem solving, but in the defensive zone he's not lazy or anything, but he just, he just kind of like, doesn't quite realize where he needs to be. Sometimes he kind of gets caught out of position. He, it just seems like his defensive awareness is like the opposite of his offensive awareness in some ways, which is kind of weird. Um, he has one of the highest star potentials in this class and, and, you know, his offensive skills are, are good. His skating needs work. Um, but he can certainly, um, set up with the best of it. I mean, you look at his numbers and he went from, 
being a two-point-per-game player in the BCHL, which is kind of like, okay, great, that's not a very difficult league. Let's see what you can do the NCAA. And then he puts up over a point per game as a freshman, which is really impressive. So I, I, I'm excited about him. I think that he is, uh, you know, I think that Columbus pretty much won the last few days of the NHL with all their trades and their, and their draft picks. So I think that it's exciting to have him and some of the other guys they picked. Um, so I, I hope that he develops nicely, but I definitely think he's one of those guys that's going to need another year or two, um, maybe more um, to develop between the college and the and the uh, AHL. So it's it's going to be a while, I think, till he's in Columbus. But uh, if all goes right and they're patient with him and they really help him develop the right way, you're looking at a top line winger here, which is pretty darn exciting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, what do you have? Yeah, and those those type of uh, downsides that Victor mentioned, with good player development, I think over time those can be rectified, they can be fixed. Um, but when you look at what he provides, um, it's it's amazing to see. You're looking at a player that can handle the puck with his top hand free from his body, and when he's just absolutely locked in, the game just looks so effortless. He can anticipate player movement very well, teammates or opponents, and he basically lets that mental map of the ice dictate what he does next. Um, the imagination, the quick hands this guy has, um, has been getting a lot of praise from NHL scouts recently. Some describe him as a puck magician that can make jaw-dropping plays. Um, he can beat defenders in one-on-ones, but he also possesses that skill with a great deal of poise and patience. And that's such a big part of the game of hockey as an NHL player, the ability to be patient and not rush the game, let the game come to you. Um, to be able to exploit those openings that he finds just by holding onto the puck. Uh, it's not that easy for an NHL player to do. Those type of skills, you, you just can't teach. There, some, some of those talents are just God-given abilities. And it, every single year, similar to what we've seen with these top 10 talents, he plays in different levels. Within time, he continues to get better. And we see it again with this guy. Uh, 26 games, 9 goals, 27 points in his first year with Michigan. He had 101 points in his second and final season in the BCHL before the uh, COVID pandemic cut things short, obviously. Um, and the bigger question is going to be, more importantly, where he fits in with the Columbus offense. And I think a lot of that's going to determine um, his future. And uh, by that, I mean the unknown factors. I mean how this Columbus team is going to look. Because as we've seen already, they've made a lot of tough changes. They traded away Seth Jones. They traded away Cam Atkinson. They brought in Jacob Borchek. They brought in Jake Bean. Uh, and they're starting, for for the most part, starting to build up their prospect pool and get some futures. And this guy is going to be leading that direction. And I think part of uh, his success as a center or as a winger is going to be determined on where the holes are and where his play is best suited. So wherever he plays, whatever position he plays, um, I definitely like his upside, as, as Victor mentioned. There, there's a lot to like about him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now we go to the sixth pick, which is uh, Detroit's pick, and that's, of course, they take a Swedish 
guy, because uh, it, it feels like Detroit and Sweden are just a match made in heaven or whatever. Um, also, always, six overall picks, a match made in heaven for Detroit, apparently. True, true. I feel uh, like they always pick six overall. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Uh, Detroit, uh, so Simon Edvinson was the pick, um, in case you guys didn't know what we were talking about. Um, it's interesting, too, when you look at his stats, they, are, they aren't as impressive, but uh, the thing with, with the Swedish Hockey League is that, like, you have to remember is that it's a professional hockey league. So, and uh, we don't really know the ice time, or I mean, maybe we do, but um, but we don't know too much about, um, like, they, they usually don't score that much just because there's, like, a lot of older guys in the league. But it's still impressive that he's able to play, even if it was, like, uh, so I see here that he played 10 games um, in the SHL for Ferlunda, um, and he only got one assist. Um, uh, but then, like, um, he also played for J20, which is also for Lunda, and he had six points in 14 games. So that's, like, everyone under 20. Um, so that's not too bad for defensemen. And then uh, for Als Venskin, um, he was on loan. Uh, he had five assists in 14 games. Um, so, and then also, like, he was playing uh, for Sweden in the under-18s. Um, World Juniors, and he had a bit more, um, you got a bit more of a sense of him with guys his age, uh, which is four points in seven games. So um, that, so it's a little tough to see how much offensive potential he has just because of how tough that league is, offensively speaking. But at the same time, um, all these scouting reports love him. It feels like uh, they all talk about how, like, how good defensively he is and how he shuts down pretty much everyone um so so maybe that's pretty much why his, his scoring totals are low as well is that he's just more of a defensive defenseman which is which is great um but i probably would have rather had brant clark but at the same time um i learned from the mort cider draft that i should never doubt stevie y so um, so this could turn out to be the steal of the century, um, but at the moment, I think I w there was a couple, of, and William Eflin's another one where I feel like Detroit should have taken instead. But uh, Steve, what do you have on Simon Evanson? Well, according to the man himself, Steve Eisman, um, Simon Evanson is a big, rangy defenseman that can really skate, possesses good puck skills, um, they see him as a defenseman that can log a lot of minutes, um, a left shot that can be a solid defender that can add offense as well. They like his skating ability, his size, his reach is good. And uh, Eisenman closes by saying, once you're a solid defensive team, you're going to be competitive and you can win most nights. And over time, we'll be able to add to the offense. And people might look at the Red Wings now and say, ah, they're bad. But I feel like the Red Wings are a lot like the Philadelphia 76ers, where you trust the process, and over time that process is going to reap the rewards. And in a couple of years, I think we're going to see those rewards when you see these two guys, Edmondson and Sider, serving as a two-headed monster on this uh, Red Wings blue line. It's a Steve Eisman pick, so uh, I'm not going to question it too much. He clearly knows a lot about hockey, and it's 
guaranteed success almost every single time. Currently 18 years old, six foot four. We talk about size. Six foot four, 198 pounds. These defensive and offensive qualities, they don't come around very often in a six foot four frame, almost 200 pounds too. And they also have an advisor uh, named Nicholas Cronwell, who is a longtime Red Wings giant. So they know how to, in my opinion, develop a good defensive talent. And the way that Sider's game uh, has improved over the past couple of years, you're going to see Edmondson play more in Falunda. He's going to get more experience in Europe. And then in a couple of years, we're going to see what he's got at the North American level. Um, and you know what? For a six foot four, it kind of seems like a puck carrier sometimes, which is pretty good. Um, but worst case scenario, you're going to get a guy that's very tough to defend against, very elusive, very hard to match up. Um, a guy who's good at the two-way game offensively, defensively. And I think the biggest part about his game, if I had to pin it down to one thing, is that he completes offensive zone entries with regularity. And we have seen it time and time again. For a lot of teams, that's a big part of success and failure. With all the endurance and skill-focused programs today especially, like the longer you have the puck on your stick, the longer the other side doesn't have the puck, and you have increased odds of doing sustained pressure in the other team's zone, and you're not turning the puck over, you're not giving their team any chances to put your team on the ropes. The game's in your hands, it's in your control. And I feel like Detroit's success in that department has been lacking for many, many years. And you need to see that reality change if you're Steve Eisman. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to be able to turn the corner. So once you get the um, offensive zone entries down pat and you're able to develop sustained offensive zone pressure, that's where you're really going to see the results uh, come into play. And I think Edmonds, uh, Edmondson and Sider are going to be crucial into uh, the Red Wings development, both of them. Yeah. Uh, Victor, what do you have on Edmondson? Well, I think we all knew that Detroit was going to take a Swede. I figured they would take best Swede available, but I definitely did not like this pick. I don't even think that he was the second best Swede available, quite frankly. I think that the next guy we're going to talk about in Wallstead were better. Um, but as Stephen kind of mentioned, six five, six four, great skating defenseman. That's catnip to NHL GMs, and there's no doubt that he has the physical attributes to be an NHL player. He's also shown that he can at least play in the SHL against men, and he was got a physical presence there to, to not get pushed around and hit, getting almost a hit per game, uh, which is which is pretty nice. And uh, there are definitely some some great things there but I think the issue that I have with him and, and um, part of this I, I heard Tony Ferrari mentioning something called that he calls the panic meter with the puck and obviously you want a really low threshold to panic with the puck and do something dumb with it and the issue with Edmondson is that he has a very low threshold on his panic meter he makes some kind of bonehead decisions when he gets pressured and he's such a good skater and he has such a long reach that that doesn't happen terribly often but as you go up in greater skill level, it happens more and more. So I have concerns about that. When you look at his micro data that uh, Mitch Brown has, his transition and defensive play are not great. And part of that I think comes down to what I just mentioned. He definitely has some good possession and expected assist rates uh, and goal rates, which are pretty nice. But I think that that's a, that's a little problematic. Of course, I agree. Stevie Wide probably knows more than we do. Nick Cronwall probably also has other guys over there like Lidstrom that know 
uh, a little a thing or two about how to assess talent. So not going to fully uh, say this is a, a terrible pick, but I, I don't really like it at the time. And I kind of think that there would have been some better options there. And if you just look at like NHL probabilities, I know, you know, Jay Fresh uh, on Twitter has a model that he's using with Patrick Bacon. And uh, it's it's not good for Simon Edmondson. He only has a 30% chance of making the NHL with a 2.4% chance of being a star. And the guys that they've taken previously, Raymond, Bergeron, Sider, are much, much higher than that. Um, so even even Albert Johannesson that they took a couple years ago comes in higher than Edmondson. Uh, and that's that's not great um, looking at it in this model. So I think that uh, I think that he left a whole lot of talent on the board, especially with a massive need in net, with them not really having any strong goalie prospects. I mean, they could have taken Wallstead or Kosa, uh, and instead they took another defenseman, which I didn't quite understand. And if they were going to go D, uh, I think Clark was a much better option. So that's that's what I think about Edmondson. Now, if they traded down and they got an extra pick for it and they still took Evanson, would you be more down for that? I still think he wasn't the right choice. Mm. Okay. I guess I guess this is where player development comes in handy, too, because yeah. if you have the player development to rectify those problems, then it's not an issue. But, um, yeah. It you comes down to that thing that I – sorry. It comes down to the uh, thing I mentioned with, with Hughes is that I, I think one of the hardest thing to, to train – We'll talk about Clark and his skating in a minute, but the hardest thing to fix is that that processing, that that panic meter. How do you lower the threshold on that? That's really hard to do. It's certainly coachable. It's certainly something that can improve, but he he just reminds me so much of Rasmus Ristolainen, right? And no matter how much he's been in the league, you know, I think these comparisons are lazy sometimes. Like, yeah. oh, he's tweeted, so he must be Victor Hedman or he must be Roberg. Right, right. But I, I think he looks more like the Finnish Rasmus Ristolainen. I mean, he's he's big. He's a good skater. He's physical but just makes dumb moves like there's simple there's a simple pass to be made but he doesn't see it instead he makes a bad play turns into a turnover and then makes a bad read leaves a guy open in front of the net bam it's it's a goal against like that is the kind of stuff that happens to Edmondson and it kept happening <clears throat> throughout this draft year and that is that shows sign of not being able to learn from your mistakes and not improving so I think he can get a little better and I'm sure I mean, Detroit has one of the best development programs, I think, in the league. So it'll probably get better, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't love it. Yeah, well, the the difference is is that Simon Evanson is 18 years old, and Rasmus Ristolainen's been in the league for how many years? <laughs> I mean, I'd be more concerned if I was Ristolainen because he's almost 30, right? True, but he did that in his draft year, is my point. Well, yeah, true. Um. Yeah, all these uh, comparisons for Edmondson that I see here are like Seth Jones and Hampus Lindholm. Um, so it's like, okay, maybe <laughs> maybe uh, Victor does have a point. Um, now, which which Seth Jones? Is it this year's Seth Jones or the usual Seth Jones? I'd love to see. That's the thing. They say best case is Seth Jones, but we'll see. Okay. But, um, but like the other point is I feel like we were saying the same thing when they selected Mort Sider, but to Victor's point, it does seem like more there's more to pick apart or there's more there for more insider than it, there was for Edison. um we have to get going though um but uh we're going to the first time that uh one of our teams uh made a pick and that's the san jose sharks and they picked william eckland um i like this pick a lot uh with uh san jose because as victor knows uh san jose does not have 
a deep prospect pool. They did pretty well last year, though. But uh, this year, uh, they uh, they go out and pick William Eklund. Um, and like I was mentioning before when I was talking about Evanson, um, the SHL is so tough to like score points because you're playing with a bunch of uh, um, older guys, but... Um, but you, they also, but like he did pretty well in the SHL this year. Uh, in 40 games, he had 11 goals and 12 assists. That's 23 points in 40 games. Uh, so that's pretty good, obviously. Um, what's interesting that struck me as interesting was um, he's 5'10. Um, apparently, he played a bit of center there too. So I, I am curious if he will be center. I, I imagine. Um, Victor will say that he's going to go on the wing because uh, he also played a bit of left wing as well. So I find that more fascinating. It's interesting too because last year they took Thomas Bordalo and he he had similar um, uh, like size issues as well, and he was listed as a center. So um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But um, Victor, what do you have on your pick? Well, I think that. It was an absolute home run. I mean, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Sharks fan, but <laughs> I, I actually was a little disappointed. I really wanted them to take Wallstead, and I was, I was excited about Gunther and Clark. Um, but I've been digging in a little bit, and I found this nugget from Byron Bader, uh, you know, in terms of his SHL production. And actually, before I mention that, you've been referencing, like, how difficult the SHL is. And, and Patrick Bacon over at uh, Top Down Hockey did an equivalency model. He used some new regression um, data and he looked at the top leagues in the world. Of course, the NHL is tops, KHL is second. For a long time, it was the SHL, but it looks like the Czech League actually is pretty high, third, and then the SHL, the fourth high, hardest league to score in the world. Um, so a goal in the SHL is worth 0.566 of a goal in the NHL. Really hard to score in the SHL. And he did that, as you mentioned, his numbers in terms of the past 30 years. Guys in their draft year that have scored as much or more than William Eklund, here are the names. Kevin Fiala, Elias Lindholm, Nick Backstrom, Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin, Marcus Naslin, Peter Forsberg. End of list. <laughs> Those are, I would drop my mic, but it's on a stand. So yeah, it's pretty yeah, solid yeah, company, yeah, I'm yeah, not going to lie. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it, I guess it's arguable whether Fiala and Lindholm are stars in the league, but they're certainly great players. I mean, those other names, though, yeah. right? Those other names are uh, undoubtedly complete superstars, and you'd want any of them on your team. If you look at the hockey prospecting model, it has Eklund as a 39% chance of being a star, and his best comp is actually Daniel Sedin, and uh, not just because he's Swedish, but there are some other great comparables, too. Um, Eric, Eric Stahl is another one in terms of the uh, just, you know, raw equivalency numbers. And if you look at Patrick Bacon's model, that he has an equivalency. So the difference in the model is kind of interesting because with Byron model, it's basically a points. They just look at points and regress it based on the number, uh, based on people who did similar in that league. But Patrick Bacon's model does a little bit more uh, massaging of the numbers and looks at wins above replacement and how likely that player is to be in the top 15% of wins above replacement over an 82 game season and play more than 200 games, which is a pretty lofty thing to try to project. But William Eklund is by far the highest in this class by 15% over the next closest player. It's really dramatic. So I know a lot of, a lot of outlets had Eklund as number one, or at least in the top three. 
And there's a lot of reasons why. He's a great skater, great hockey IQ. Uh, I think that he is absolutely, you know, going to be a great player. It's funny, we were talking about the whole wing thing. I, I agree with you, Brett, but I've been hearing rumblings that Sharks want to make him a center, probably because they don't have any centers. Yeah. But uh, we'll see if they can actually do that or not. He's he, he did so well in Sweden in the SHL this year that I think there's a chance he could actually play in the in the NHL this season. Wow. I think that's unlikely, but it's possible. You know, playing against men in one of the toughest leagues in the world with a strong development camp. Uh, there was a great video they interviewed him. Um, Sharks Media did, and Eric Collison jumped up on and was like, "You're gonna be at, you're gonna be you're gonna be here this year, right? You're gonna be you know." He's like already kind of recruiting him to make sure he sticks around uh, already as early as this season. So that'll be a fun story to kind of look at. Of course, Carlson being Swedish. Um, so yeah, I just think it's a great pick. I am super excited. He instantly becomes the best prospect on the team, which I yep. think is interesting too, because a lot of a lot of these guys. Are, are either not or there's competition and there's no competition. Eklund shoots to the top of the board and uh, and probably actually is even uh, the most NHL ready of all of them because all those other guys with Weisblatt and, and Bordalo and Robbins, they, pro- they need probably a couple more years. Yeah. And Eklund has already played professionally and done really well, um, like historically well. So that's, uh, that's really positive too. So yeah, I'm pretty darn excited about <laughs> Eklund. That's cool. Um, so Steve, what else do you have on Eklund? I am just as excited as I was when Tim, Tim Stitzel was drafted third overall. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like what Eklund delivers to the Sharks. And, um, what drives me close to saying this is a home run for the Sharks is the way he approaches the game, his personality. Um, Mark Masters of TSN did a story on William Eklund before the draft. And this guy not only produced in a league with men, 23 points in 40 games, SHL rookie of the year, right? Also received the EJ McGuire award from NHL central scouting, which is only given to one prospect every single draft class. And he got that award this year. And this guy not only underwent an emergency appendectomy during the season, he also battled COVID, and he still got 23 points in 40 games in a league with men. And the way he approaches those adversities, um, he says you have to overcome downfalls like missing the World Juniors and the appendix thing to really work on your mental toughness. Those things are also important if you want to be successful. So this guy not only has the physical attributes, the hockey sense, skills, all of that, he approaches the mental side of the game so well and just tries to be a good person, a great teammate, and just a really hard worker. And he wants to be the best at what he does. When the midseason rankings were leaked, this guy was seventh overall. The position that he went to uh, when the Sharks called his name on Friday. He was asked about those rankings way back when. He responded by saying, I'm going first overall. Because he's not that he's arrogant or egotistical. He's just that confident in himself. He's a driven guy that wants to be the best, the best possible guy. And San Jose, more than anything, needs character guys. And not to say that San Jose's got a bunch of guys that like to take shortcuts, but you need a glue guy that keeps your line in line in all three zones. And this guy can do that. He can play at a high pace. 
He's got all the creativity that I just listed. He can be a good pass option. He can be a good shooter option. Um, he can excel in a lot of different areas. And I think after Joe Pavelski left, that part of the leadership uh, was really lacking on the Sharks. And it's part of the reason, not the main reason, but it's part of the reason why they regressed for as long as they have the past couple of seasons. And I think a young 17, 18-year-old like William Eklund could help change that for the young core. They need hardworking guys. And when an 18-year-old guy could potentially be the hardest-working guy in the team, that's contagious. It rubs off on people. So I think the hardworking part of his game is what Sharks need the most and what I find so appealing is that he doesn't take a shift off. He's always moving his legs, and he's always trying to do the right thing. I love a hockey player that does that. Cool. And you mentioned the uh, the fact that he said he was going to go first overall. They kind of they kind of mentioned that to him, like, "Hey, how do you feel that you went seventh in that interview?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm just I'm just so happy." Like, there <laughs> isn't the arrogance there. Like, I think some people could could hear that and say, "Oh, he's just cocky." I don't think it's cockiness. I think it's confidence because when he was kind of pressed on that, he had no issue with the fact that he didn't go first or second or third. He's happy to be drafted. He's happy to to put the work in and to be the best player for the team that drafted him. And that's, that's what you want, right? And and you need, you need that guy, that first overall mindset in order to be the best, a guy that's constantly pushing the envelope. And if he continues to have that work ethic every single year, man, like the sky's the limit for him. Right. And what player says like, I want to go second overall, or I want to go, I want to, I want to go in the second round, you know? Uh, so yeah. Um, I didn't take too much out of that quote, I guess. Yeah, 11th overall would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe just go undrafted. I don't want to be drafted. <laughs> um, yeah. Go to St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the Los Angeles, so the last California team makes their pick, and that's the Los Angeles Kings. They go with Brant Clark. It's, this one's an interesting pick because like a lot of my mock drafts that I was looking at uh, just kept on having Brand Clark in the top five, um, and uh, and yeah, so it was kind of surprising that he even slipped this far down, even though it's still top ten, which is pretty good. But um, I do like this pick. Um, so he he did play for the Barry Colts um, in the 2019-20 season, but since um, and he did pretty well there too. Uh, he had 38 points in 57 games in the OHL uh, two years ago. Uh, then, or I guess last year, uh, then uh, he moved to Slovakia um, and played in that league uh, on loan. Um, and he had 15 points in 26 games. He also went uh, played for Canada in the World Juniors under 18s, um, where he had seven points in seven games there. Um, and yeah, it, it's it seems like everything I was looking at, like this guy's a pure offensive defenseman. Um, and that's something that the LA Kings desperately need. Um, when you look at their prospect pool, they're loaded up up top with the forwards. They have Quinton Byfield, uh, Alex Turcotte, uh, Tyler Madden, um, Arthur Kaliev. Um, I'm, I'm probably missing a few, but, uh, mm-hmm. but they don't yeah. really have, like other than Kale Clegg, who I thought Seattle should have taken. We'll get to that in uh, probably an hour. Let's be honest. And, um, yeah. um so, so that that's pretty much their only like legitimate defenseman there. So, uh, Brandon Clark instantly becomes 
LA's best prospect on the defensive side of things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a good fit for them here. Um, so, uh, Steve, uh, what do you have on Brandon Clark? Uh, so, um, this, this is close to home cause he's from Nepean, Ontario, a section of Ottawa. So, uh, Ottawa people know this guy pretty well. Uh, his brother Graham Clark played for the Ottawa 67s of the OHL and is a devil's prospect. Super excited by the way. Uh, even though he's not going to the Devils, he's going to Los Angeles. Graham was very, very excited when Brant's uh, name got called. Uh, and uh, the Kings are going to like this guy. Six foot two, 185 pounds. Uh, absolutely no fear in this kid. Not afraid to commit to a play. He can push the play all by himself. Uh, he's got an overall ability to process the movement of other skaters. Just uncanny ability. He can push the play all by himself with, with that big brain. And he's more than comfortable of making his own reads. And he has the vision to see things that others don't, which is part of the reason why he's so offensively skilled and the numbers back it up. You need a guy with good puck control and a lot of patience to do this continuously, not to mention successfully. And he's got the patience down pat. And the, the fact that abilities can develop as quickly as they do before he makes this big decision is also important. Um, some scouting systems, as a matter of fact, even had this guy pegged as the number two overall pick. Uh, that's how good he was. Um, taking a look at his numbers before his big breakout season, uh, in 73 games across all competition at the U16 AAA level with the Don Mills Flyers, he had 35, uh, 35 goals and 113 points. Uh, that was in 2018-19. And if you look at a 33-game timeline in the GTHL ranks, U16 level, he had 19 goals and 54 points. year later, goes to the OHL's Barry Colts. Rookie season is only one in the OHL to date. Six goals, 38 points, 57 games. Not bad for a rookie at all. And then the Slovakian League, by the way, league filled with men, as you mentioned, Brett, 15 points, 26 games. And he also plays with Canada, the U18s, where he gets seven points in seven games. So at various levels, at various rankings, going up the food chain bit by bit, continues to play well, and I think automatically becomes their number one defensive prospect uh, after this pick. So, yeah, the Kings got a good one. I'm very happy uh, with their selection there. Yeah, yeah. Victor, I it's funny when I did the like Steve takes the odds or sorry uh, takes the evens and Victor takes the odds. I didn't even put together that Brand Clark was also an Ottawa native, so I guess it's fitting that uh, you get to talk about him first. Uh, Victor, what do you have on Brand Clark? I think this is an absolute home run and larceny for the LA Kings. I mean, the fact that he fell to eight is, I'm sure that they were just over the moon. I, I think he's also, uh, as, as Stephen kind of alluded to, probably the, the team, the, the prospect that benefited the most by the team who drafted him. There's mm -hmm. absolutely a high need for a high-end offensive defenseman. Some people have mentioned, well, what about Bjornfoot and what about these other guys? No, I'm sorry. Brant Clark is immediately their best defensive prospect, and they have so many other good prospects that it's it's a, it's a great fit. I kind of wondered if maybe they would go goalie because 
I like I like uh, Cal Peterson. I'm not sure that he's like you know uh, better than an average starting goalie. Um, so they don't really have anyone else in their system. But he he is by far the highest D uh, star potential in the hockey prospecting mile, and that's by a country mile. If you look at all of the other uh, defensemen in this draft, it's not even close. Um, there's one big issue with Clark though. You, you kind of alluded to his, his hockey sense, uh, Stephen. He's got some amazing hockey sense. You look at his um, his his performance at the World Junior, and it was just dominant. I mean, his his ability to generate offense, his uh, transition rate, even his defense is really good. But there is a major problem with his skating. And uh, if anybody uh, reads Mitchell Brown's uh, information on that, he's he's very critical of, of strides and how how that works and. Brent Clark's thread is just not good. It's, it's like borderline not even NHL uh, material, how bad it is. So I think the big question is, can he can he improve that? And by all accounts, he understands that that's an issue and is ready to do the work. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident he can get there. So I don't have a, a whole lot of concern with that, especially as I mentioned before. You can't teach those offensive instincts and the ability to read the play and process things at lightning speed that is something that is pretty innate and it's somewhat coachable, but I don't think you can coach somebody to get to Brent Clark's level on that. That's just something that you have or you don't. So his skating, if that improves, he, uh, yeah, he's going to be amazing. He's going to be probably one of the best players from this draft, I think, especially considering uh, where he's going. I think the Kings have done a great job of developing their players, not only drafting, but developing them. Yeah. So, He's amazing. And fortunately, we have top of the line skating coaches that are at the prospect's disposal. So, uh, in, in theory, um, the skating issues over time shouldn't be that big of a challenge to fix. I would hope. For sure. Uh, so now we go to the ninth pick. Uh, Arizona made a trade with Vancouver. Uh, so, though this was going to be Vancouver's pick, but. Arizona makes a trade, um, and we'll talk about that, of course, next week. Um, and uh, they end up drafting Dylan Gunther, um, and uh, and this was a pretty good pick too. I, I felt like he fell a bit too because I I, I I don't know maybe I like this kid more than a lot of other ones, but the, I re- I really like this pick. Maybe it's just because like he only played twelve games, but in those twelve games he had. Uh, it goes 12, 12, 12. So he had 12 games, 12 goals, and 12 assists, 24 points um, in 12 games. So two points per game in the WHL. Of course, the WHL this year um, was a little bit different because, you know, not everyone was playing and all that different stuff, and it was a weird COVID year. But still very impressive yeah, that, to go t- that two league, points by the way, Brett, That league didn't also get started until I think it was like March yeah. or something. It wasn't like a stop and start with yeah. the Quebec league. It, it like these guys weren't playing for months practically mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, you're on team Canada and the world juniors or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, even still he went to, he also played a bit in the AJHL. Um, and I guess that's the, the lower league. He was on loan for Sherwood Park, um, and he had five points in four games, so a bit over a game, a point per game. Um, and then uh, he also played in the under-18s for Team Canada, where he had seven points in seven games. Um, I do like this fit for Arizona, just because like, like a bunch of these uh, teams that we were talking about, like 
he's instantly Arizona's best prospect. Um, and then this is a team, or this is a team that's in desperate need for prospects. And this is a good way to start your rebuild. Um, like pretty much every every trade that Arizona has made in the last couple of weeks has just been asking for uh, picks and, and all that stuff. But they never really gotten too many prospects out of it. And uh, Dylan Gunther is a legitimate player for that. And um, yeah, I, I really like this pick for Arizona. Um, but of course, it, it's he may not be good right away. Just but that has more to do with the supporting cast um, that's going with him in in the desert. Uh, so Victor, what do you have on Dylan Gunther? Yeah, I agree. This this was, I mean, the fact that he fell to nine, he, he probably should have been a top five guy. Yep. So the fact that he was there for Arizona was a no-brainer. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I was talking with Byron Bader, who's looked at a lot of this data, and I did not realize this, but apparently left-handed shots outproduce right-handed shots by a two-to-one margin, just if you look at all historical data, which is really interesting. And Dylan Gunther is a right-handed shot. He's also a right-handed right wing. And guys that score at his level, two points per game in the WHL, are literal unicorns. They don't happen. So, of course, it's a little bit of a small sample size, an abbreviated season. Would he have done that over the whole course of the full WHL season? Nobody knows. But that's still really impressive. In the hockey prospecting model, he has the highest star probability of the class by 13% over Clark. Uh, that's huge. If you look at the um, Patrick Bacon's model with Jay Fresh, it's uh, lower. You have Eklund, Cole Sillinger, and then Gunther, the third highest. So that's still pretty good. It's not like they're completely um, off from one another. So I think the biggest issue is that um, Gunther probably benefited the least by the team that drafted him. I think Arizona is often where offense goes to die, or at least it has been. But I think if anyone can buck that trend, uh, Gunther has super high offensive ability and I, I think he can he can improve that I think maybe part of the reason he fell to nine is that he, he wasn't amazing at the U18 he was still good but some other prospects showed better like McTavish and uh, and then some of the guys that aren't even draft eligible but that shouldn't really necessarily be held against him uh, as I mentioned no one's done what he's done in the WHL since 1988 that's a really long time ago um, and he's probably the best pure goal scorer in the draft but he he can also set guys up too so his offensive metrics are off the charts, um, you know, two and three standard deviations above the mean, what other peers of his can do. So uh, I, I think that, yeah, this, this guy's a limit. You also mentioned the Arizona prospect system. It's basically Dylan Gunther and then a literal desert wasteland <laughs> of nobody else. So it's him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love, uh, like, I love the, the desert wasteland puns always with the Arizona Coyotes here. So that's, that's cool, too. Uh, Steve, what do you have on Ginther? Plain and simple, you need goals, you got him. Dylan Ginther is your guy. Best goal scorer in the draft. Uh, not only can he score goals, but it, he can score goals in a variety of, of ways. His release is absolutely deadly if you're a goaltender facing that. There's a lot of potency to contain. The puck just seems to explode off his blade. He generates tons of power he can find good places to shoot the puck it doesn't really have a fixed spot like ovechkin he can shoot from pretty much anywhere and not only that he can control his release the control 
of your shot is so, so important. And if you can control that consistently, that's how you get a ton of goals on your resume. Um, even his first eight games, like forget his full season, his first eight WHL games with the Oil Kings, he had three goals, which is like a goal every two games almost. That's pretty good. Uh, and then in 58 games as a rookie, he had 26 goals, 59 points. Um, obviously, didn't get a chance to showcase those skills in the playoffs because COVID. Um, but yeah, two points per game, goal per game in a shortened second season for him, pretty solid. And with Team Canada, he was pretty good too. Um, Arizona straight up needs this guy. Kessel's aging and also could be trade bait. Connor Garland already gone. Dvorak probably out the door soon. You don't really know what you will get from Schmaltz and Keller on a given season uh, to the point where the leading goal scorer on their team was Jacob Chikrin, a defenseman, and he almost had 20 goals. That can't happen uh, moving forward. And Genther, once he's ready, is going to be a big part of that offense, and he has to be because uh, Arizona is probably going to be bad for a couple of years. Uh, there's no really need urgent need to rush him into the lineup just let him develop in the whl for a little bit um then see what he's got in the ahl and then bring him up but uh for for the most part um they they definitely took the best player available and it was the right move to make for them cool um great so now we get to the controversial pick that we'll probably we could spend a a full hour on this pick Uh, Um, here we go (laughs) Uh, Ottawa, there was a few other players that I thought Ottawa would take, uh, Jesper Walstead, um, there Mm -hmm. was also, uh, Chaz Lucius, Cole Sillinger, um, Matthew Coronado, maybe, uh, there's a few others, um, but to Fabian Lysel, even, like, Aturati, um, maybe, um, and Ottawa goes and... Uh, especially since they lost uh, Joey Decord, you would think maybe they go with Casa or maybe they go with Walstead. But nope, mm-hmm. they go with uh, this guy, Tyler Boucher. Uh, many had uh, like going 40th or 50th, um, although Bob McKenzie had him going 29th, but still that's, <laughs> that's quite a reach at, at 10 there. Um, and... Um, I, I did keep an eye on him, but the only reason why I knew him before the draft was just because he's going to Boston University this year, so I, I usually keep up with those kind of guys. Um, but this year, uh, before we talk about him intensely, uh, he had uh, in the uh, USHL for the US uh, NDP, um, TDP, uh, he had five points in five games. Um, and then he played for the under-17 team where he had three point three goals in two games. And then he also played in the under-18 teams um, uh, with 11 points in 12 games. Um, I keep on seeing him being compared to uh, Tom Wilson. Um, and I also see him being compared to, I think there was another one type player. Um, but that should really, sh- even Tom Wilson is a comparable um, a good comparable to see how you feel about this guy, which just means is that he hits a lot and he he might have some scoring touch. However, there's not too much that we know just because he's he hasn't played too many games. Um, so it's pretty risky pick. 
especially with all the other guys that were available at the time. Um, so, so yeah, Steve, uh, what do you think of this Tyler Boucher guy? Well, if, if you're looking for anyone in this draft class that plays with a bigger edge, you're not going to find him in this draft class. Um, none more physical than Tyler Boucher. Uh, by the way, son of former NHL netminder Brian Boucher, in case you're wondering. Um, if you want to know how important he is to your team, he suffered a significant injury this year. Uh, his presence was felt when he wasn't on the ice, and when he's on the ice, he's a game changer. So definitely a team-defining player um, that, regardless of physical or a skill level, um definitely can help your team for the most part uh in the small sample size that he had this year tyler had three goals in two games with the u17s at the u.s uh, national development program 11 points in 12 games six of them goals with the u18s um so again offensive upside love to see that um mostly known like you said for his physical play whether it's a small nudge Maybe it's an extra cross-check or a smart play to cut off the hands. Or if you like the old-school style, bone-crushing hit along the boards, he can do that too. Insane physical game on this kid. Um, solid pass option. Decent goal-scoring threat. Um, a very crafty release too because he can change angles, which is good. Um, I wonder how much of an input Pierre Dorian had in this pick mostly because him and Brian Boucher work for NBC Sports. So I would think to a degree, maybe he's seen Tyler Boucher play. Maybe he knows what Tyler Boucher provides more than most hockey minds at the draft floor. Maybe just saying, um, I do have kind of an issue with the fact they made him 10th overall. I think those concerns are 100% valid because the first time I heard about this name is when they picked him, yep. when they picked him 10th overall, it's the first time it was just like Tyler Boucher. Who's Tyler Boucher? Right, right, right. Why, what, why did this says take him? Um, and the other question that came to my mind is, okay, if the Sens didn't take Tyler Boucher, what are the odds that other GMs take him 12th overall, 13th overall, even in the first round? And I zero. really don't know the answer to that question. Victor probably thinks it's zero. Fair enough. Um, I would personally rather Ottawa move down, likely take him in that lower spot yeah. and get an extra second or a third, you know? Just just like get some sort of an extra asset on top of that. Like look at the names they passed on. Jesper Walstead, Sebastian Costa, all those names Brett mentioned. Even Aturati who went late in the second round, he was available there. And a couple of years ago, he was a projected top five pick. They passed on him yeah. multiple times. I don't get why Tyler Boucher was a 10th overall pick. And I, I get why Ottawa made this pick. That That's not what I'm questioning. Like, Ottawa needs players like Tyler Boucher because they already have guys like Josh Norris and Alex Morrison and Drake Batherson and Tim Stutzla. You need guys that play on the chippy side. It can't always be Brady Kachuk. You were expecting to be a top-line player. He can't be always in the middle of the scrum anymore when this team is ready to win. It can't be that case. That's why they took guys like Ridley Gregg, 20th, 28th overall uh, in 2020. And they could do that because 
they took Stutzla and Sanderson in the top five before that. So they already got what they wanted in the first round. They're just like, yeah, we can be bold. It's the 28th overall pick. Let's take Redley Gregg. Why not? Yep. This was Ottawa's only first round pick in this draft, and it was 10th overall. That's that's why I take issue with. Um, but I'm willing to let it slide simply because you don't know what to expect in this year's draft class. It's a very tough one to evaluate. Last year's draft class was loaded with talent. Next year, 2022, is going to be a lot stronger than this year's draft class. You're probably going to have some more certainty because hopefully by that time, COVID won't be as big of a concern. We hope, fingers crossed. Um, so the seasons will hopefully look more normal and we'll get more than just video and words through the mouth of scouts. You'll actually get to see a more normal scouting setting and you'll know the pros and cons of each player a bit better. So if there's time for Ottawa to be bold, to take some risks, I'd rather it this year than either last year or the upcoming year or in the years that follow. I just hope these risks don't become a pattern because it could really jeopardize their rebuilds. So that's, that's that's my analysis on Tyler Boucher. I don't I don't hate the pick, but I also don't love it because right. it was at ten. That's all. Uh, Victor, what about you? Well, the good news is that I think that he is. I mean, he's a very physical player. As Stephen kind of mentioned, two hits per game for the U18s, five for the under seventeen team. He had a pretty positive Corsi. His his expected goals percent wasn't great. Um, he also had an average of two minutes of penalty time per game. So I guess if that's the kind of player that you wanted to draft, that physical, gritty presence that uh, is kind of a pain to play against and, and makes your team difficult to play against, then I guess I guess they got what they wanted. Uh, I think the issue, as you kind of mentioned, Stephen, is that the, there was really zero reason, in my opinion, to take him at 10th overall. Pretty much every scouting outfit had him as a consensus late second round pick. They had two mid to late second round picks. They could have taken him with the 49th overall pick. I can almost guarantee that no one would have taken him by then. And the other thing is that if you want this kind of player, there are many, many middle six gritty you know, forwards that you could have taken in the second or third round that would probably have a similar upside to Tyler Boucher and I get the familiar connection and maybe they had some inside scoop there but I just don't really see how how it's justified taking a guy with the upside to be a middle six player at 10th overall especially there's a really high organizational need in Ottawa for a high-end goaltending prospect there were both of them still on the board as you mentioned there were still some really nice prospects available for for everyone to take, including Ottawa, at that position, none, not the least of which were Cole Sillinger, who went right afterwards, Matthew Coronado, Rosen, you know, all of these guys would have been really nice options. And I think pretty much the entire rest of the first round, uh, with the exception of the last two picks, would have been an improvement on what they took. So I, I'm sorry to, to, to say it so harshly, but I, I think it was an awful pick. I think it was the first awful pick of the draft. Uh, there was so many better options available and it just seems like they went with a pretty, a pretty sure, like low upside, 
high floor kind of guy when there were lots of other guys that fit that mold that they could have gotten much, much later. Yeah, and to, and to Victor's argument, I mean, you look at Jesper Wallstead and where he went, 20th overall to Minnesota, and and they were involved in a trade with Edmonton. Edmonton was supposed to be 20th. They probably needed Wallstead more than any other team, and they traded down two spots, and Minnesota at 20th overall is just like, yeah, we're taking the guy you probably needed anyway. Sorry about that. <laughs> Even though they already have Capo Kakinen, like you take the best player available. Yeah. Like that, that's the whole mantra we've been used to Pierre Dorian saying. We're gonna take the best player available. We're gonna take the best player available. Was Tyler Boucher the best player available? I don't think he was. Was he the guy that they wanted? Maybe. But I don't think he was the best player available. The best player available, there are a lot of other options that you could go with. Like who cares if you get Three capable goalies in the system. If you have Gustafson, you have Sogard, you have Wallstead. Or if you have Wallstead, you have, uh, or if you have Casa and uh, Sogard and Gustafson, who, who cares? You have useful prospects with high NHL upside, and they're useful. If you don't have any use for them, you can trade them for assets that you need. So I totally get Victor's argument there, which is again why I'm not that crazy about the Tyler Boucher pick is they, they could have done so many other things with 10th overall. Yeah, for sure. I think, well, what's interesting here is, is that I feel like a lot of teams are like, they see Tom Wilson and yeah, you hate, like they love those, like you hate him when he's not on your team type players and they realize they have a, a huge impact on the game. Like Brad Marchand's another one too, but uh, so I guess there is a potential that Tyler Boucher could be that guy, but yes, I agree with both of you guys that uh, it does not make sense to be tenth. Um, like I, I, I'm just saying that based off of the fact that like the Rangers have basically changed their whole philosophy, um, and now, now that's all they're getting is just a bunch of tough guys. Um, oh, and, and you look so, and you look at the division that Ottawa's in. Yeah. You've got Florida that's clearly better, Tampa that's clearly better, Toronto that's clearly better, Boston still in the mix, Montreal is, I guess, as well. Buffalo and Detroit are really the only pushovers at this point. At some point, they're yeah. probably going to get better. And Ottawa's got to be like, man, we can't really get pushed around by these guys. We need a guy like Tyler Boucher right. in there. If Tom Wilson indirectly led to Ottawa drafting Tyler Boucher over someone like Wallstead or Casa. Like, for real, Tom Wilson, you have changed the game of hockey more than you will ever know. It's crazy. I, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I, I, I feel like that is a part of their thinking, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, for better or worse, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're pretty late into this, so I'm going to pull a little bit of an audible. And so okay. we, do, we do have some questions, uh, but I, I figured, uh, because we also have to talk about the Seattle draft, so I want to get to that point. So... I will just yep. do like general thoughts about the rest of the draft um, instead, and um, so I'll I'll go first to give you guys ways to organize your notes here. Um, okay. So uh, so I do want to talk about the Bruins pick, uh, Fabian Lysel. What's interesting about this pick for me was is I didn't really know too much about him um, before this draft, simply because like. I didn't expect the Bruins, he, him to be available at the 21st pick uh, where the Bruins picked. So now the more that I'm reading about it, I'm like, wait, how, how the hell did he fall so, 
uh, low um, in the draft to tw even 21st, where it seemed like he should have been like a top 10 pick or even a, in the teens. Um, and it turns out uh, the more that uh, there was a couple of reports that said that during all the interviews, uh, he came off as a bit arrogant. He came off as a bit cocky. Um, oh, no. And he had, like, personality issues. And, um, and, and you know, the thing is... is was, it, was, it, was it Yakupov level bad? No, no, no. I, like, I don't know. The, like, I can't give you an example of it. But, um, but, like, he just... Like, all I know is that they said that he just came off as arrogant. And... Um, and, and, you know, like, that's kind of a weird thing to me, because it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, personality is a big part of making a team and stuff. But at the same time, if a kid like is as talented as Fabian Lysel is, like, it, it shouldn't matter. And not to mention the fact that like, the Bruins have guys in the locker room who have been experienced like Patrice Bergeron, or uh, even Pasternak, Marshawn, I know he, he has that reputation, but he, he is a nice guy in real life. Um, you know, they have a bunch of those experienced guys, David Krejci, if he stays on, um, of course, like, I mean, but like, you know, like I, I don't have too many concerns about the personality stuff. Taylor Hall, we just signed him again for four years. So that part to me feels like, um, uh, an interesting, um, like, like I, I'm not too worried about it. It kind of reminds me a little bit, of, uh, and Victor should know, it reminds me a little bit of the Ryan Merkley pick where there were some concerns about his personality, um, but then at the same time, the Sharks have guys like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson and coaches to help him out um, in the long run. So there's not too much of a concern there. Um, and yeah, this... This could be, if all things go well, this could be like a next David Pasternak type trade, uh, type deal, um, and it could be like Taylor Hall's future line mate. Um, maybe David Krejci is not there because he's still a UFA, but uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I, I think I, I have high hopes for this guy. Um, also, I was surprised that Aturati went down to the second round. Um, uh, all my mock drafts that I was looking at were said that uh, Matt Coronado was going to be in the 20s, so I was looking forward to getting him, and then I was slightly disappointed that he ended up going 12th uh, to Calgary, but good for him. It's it's kind of crazy because he was killing it in um, the USHL, but he's like another one like Cole Caulfield or Johnny Goudreau, um, who's like a short guy, but he can score like the um, – like no one's business. Um, so I like that pick for Calgary. Um, Corson Kuhlman's I like, although he's probably going to take a bit to uh, develop, um, but he went the Kale McCarr round. I like the, what the Ducks were doing. Uh, they did take Mason McTavish, and then uh, their next two picks were Olin Zellweger and uh, Sasha Pashuov, um, which were like three picks that people had going in the first round or uh, early second. So so that's that's a good pick on them. And I also am a big fan of Zach LaRue. Um, everything I've read about him and heard about him is he's been, he, he was suspended 
four times in the QMIT JHL this year, um, and everyone is saying that he plays a lot like Brad Marchand. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing him in Nashville as well. Uh, Victor, I guess I'll start with you because I feel like you may have more stuff on this. Yeah, before, before just curious, where was uh, LaRue drafted? Uh, Nashville. He was in dra- uh, Nash- drafted in Nashville. I think he went 28th, maybe 27th. But, okay, so that yeah. was 17 or 18 spots after Tyler Boucher. Got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, 10th would have been pretty high for, for LaRue, but uh, I wouldn't have hated that pick if, if that was the pick. Uh, Victor, what yeah. do you have? I wouldn't have loved LaRue there either, but I wouldn't have hated it as much as Boucher. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was, yeah, you, you mentioned some really good ones. I, I think it's pronounced Ratu, Atu Ratu. Oh, I think my bad. Y is like a U. Yeah, confirmed. I'm so, so <laughs> I apologize. It's it's a Buffalo situation where it's like, oh, it's pronounced this way. Nah, yeah. No, no. I apologize, yeah. Ratu, if you're listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. The other fun thing about Ratu, I mean, I think he's a steal for New York at 52. He he was playing in a World Summer Showcase the day of the draft, and I think, you know, just was like, here, let me show you guys I'm still good, put up four goals. Um, so that was kind of fun that he did that on the day that he was getting snubbed by the NHL teams. I think I, I've made, I mentioned already, I think Wallstead is the best, was the best goalie in this draft. I don't care that he went 20th. I wrote an article about it if you want to go read it on the Hockey Writers. Uh, what he did this year was unprecedented. No goalie in the last 20 years did anything like what he did. So very high on Wallstead. I, I like Kosa, but the fact that he plays in a lower equivalency league um, was interesting. It made that a little lower. I think one guy that I was really surprised fell so far and I think is going to be an absolute steal. And I've just been loving what the Anaheim Ducks have been doing the last several seasons. Uh, well, they, they got a few good guys. Pastajov is a guy that I think was going to be great. Zellweger, I think Anaheim did an amazing job with their draft. And Dallas, I think Dallas getting Logan Stankoven, who was... It's just a beast, and and you know he was arguably one of the best forwards in the WHL with Dylan Gunther, but went far later. And the reason is that well, he's listed at five eight. Some some outfits say he's five ten, but he's short. That's really the only reason. But he doesn't play small. He doesn't get pushed off pucks. He's very physical. He engages with contact. Uh, he's the guy that I think is going to make everybody um, sorry that they passed on him. So there were some really interesting late picks that I think are going to end up being steals. Guys like Jack Pert in Minnesota is another one that I think is going to be good. And Sean Barron's uh, that Colorado took in 61st overall is another undersized good... Stop me if you've heard this before. A good good skating, undersized, great <laughs> hockey IQ defenseman playing for Colorado or in the Colorado system. They yeah. just are accumulating these guys and it's, guys. Uh, it's incredible. So those are some guys that are interesting. I also, Simon Robertson at 71 to St. Louis. That was frustrating because the Sharks had that pick and they traded it. And that was the guy I wanted them to take. And then St. Louis took it. I was like, uh, but actually, um, Benjamin Goudreau is the guy they took later in that round. And um, my hot take on the goalies is that I think Goudreau is closer to Kosa than Kosa is to Wallstead. So I'll end on that. Interesting. All right. Uh, I, I, I will say Benjamin Goodrow has a lot of upside, and I'm very happy for your shirts that you got him. He, sh- he should be a good addition there. 
Um, I uh, Dallas uh, did have a good draft, but they did have a weird uh, pick with Wyatt Johnston in the first round, which I don't necessarily understand. But um, but yeah, I agree that uh, they did well with uh, Stinkoven. <laughs> Yeah, um, there are a couple of that uh, that interested me. Um, speaking of Sebastian Casa, uh, Victor mentioned that uh, Detroit didn't take him at number six, so that's fine because they moved up by trading a first, a second, and a fifth to Dallas to select fifteenth overall, and there they took Sebastian Casa of the Edmonton Oil Kings. So I thought they would have taken Wallstead; that probably would have been the better choice. But Casa is still pretty good. Uh, Thirty-three games as a WHL rookie in 2019-2020. 2.23 goals against average, 921 save percentage. Absolutely unbelievable this past year in limited action with Edmonton. 19 games, 941 save percentage, only a 1.57 goals against average. So they needed a pretty good goalie prospect, and I feel like they got one in Casa. Again, maybe Wallstep was the better choice. I still think Casa will get the job done. And then... I, I really only have one other, and that is why on God's green earth did Logan Malou get drafted by anybody? 31st overall by Montreal is where he went. Um, he's got to do everything right moving forward to be in the right position to have a successful career. Everyone knew about the incident in Sweden. He addressed it himself. In fact, he wanted to take the time to improve as a person and encouraged NHL teams don't draft me this year. I'm working on being a better person. I want to focus on next year's draft. And some teams took that advice and immediate, or even before Logan put out that statement, some teams already had him on their do not draft list. And what do the Canadians do 31st overall? They take him anyway. He's a late first round pick. Forget a pick in any round. A late first round pick. And apparently, if they don't take him, other teams around two might have been willing to take a chance on him anyway. The optics are so, so awful by making this your draft pick at any point in this draft class. Like, the Mitchell Miller situation with Arizona, fourth round pick, right? And immediately after word got out, oh, Arizona messed up, then Arizona rescinded his rights. We didn't know the public knowledge, I guess probably from a local standpoint, they probably, people probably knew about it. But like in terms of like nationwide, all over Twitter, we didn't know about it until probably like a few weeks after the pick was made, right? Mm -hmm. People knew about the Logan Mallory situation on Twitter before the night of the draft and Montreal still took him. I, it's sickening, absolutely sickening with these optics that a team would draft Logan Mallow. And and you know what? Maybe he's a changed person by the end of this, and he has a fine career, and this is the past of the past, and he learns from this. Right now, the optics sucks. No team should have drafted him. People should have given this time. If he proves that he's worthy of getting drafted or getting signed by an NHL team, it'll happen eventually. But don't take him before he's a changed man for crying out loud. It's yep. so stupid. I think the craziest thing is is that I'm not even really surprised that an NHL team does this, like, let alone. Yeah, I know. You know I'm not either. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 this yeah. should be better. 
Like, yeah, teams like, should know better. Yeah, when I saw that Greg Wyshynski was saying that, like, a second, like, there were many teams in this that were going to take him in the second round. So Montreal mm-hmm. wanted to take him before they could um, at 31st. But still, um, just, like, it's it's sickening, really. Uh, because, like, especially because, like, like, yeah, that does show a bit more maturity than uh, the other guy in Arizona um, mm-hmm. said because, like, he he did show some remorse. But um, if you read this athletic article um, that, like, it, the victim um, hasn't forgiven this guy, um, even though, like, he did this public apology saying that he doesn't want to be drafted and he, he wanted to focus uh, next year and, and try to get better. Um, but, like, that's pretty telling that even the victims are saying, like, you know, that, like, he doesn't, he feels like, she feels like uh, uh, she he didn't do enough, even though um, he didn't want to get drafted and, and did that public apology thing, uh, which is more than the Arizona guy, so I'll give him that much. But um, at the same time, it, re- it really goes down to the victim. Um, and and um, so you just feel, you feel bad for that, and... Um, you feel bad for any women watching hockey um, because um, this, this is this is what the NHL teams do. Um, not just this, but like the Chicago stuff too. It's just it's a dark thing that people don't yeah. want to talk about because it's uncomfortable. But we have to, and, and that's why it's important. Um, yeah, and and the fact that yeah. you had the Chicago stuff out there and the Arizona stuff, it just makes right. it even more hypocritical. Yeah. But hey, you know what? The Habs put out a press release. At least they knew yeah. people were going to be like, "Wait, what did you do?" They, they put it out like a minute after he was drafted. Yeah. So they, like, <laughs> Almost they instantaneous. They, they knew this was bad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Victor, I don't know if, uh, if you have anything else that hasn't been said, but I, I know you you you're you're on our same wavelength here. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo everything Stephen said for sure. And you and I were watching this together yep. uh, on a Zoom call, and I, I agree with everything you said. And also, just like they, they just ruined the draft for me, yep. really. Like we're, we were all having so much fun. It was great. It was positive. It was exciting. All the picks, and then Montreal does that, followed by Chicago doing that. <laughs> and it was like, come yeah. on, you just like ruined the end. Like we're yeah. we're waiting for the end, and it was all good yeah. and fun. And, and the optics and the just the, the, the tone deafness of not putting the emphasis, like you said, Brett, where it belongs with, with the victims and with making, you know, actionable changes. You know, Elliot Friedman on 31 Thoughts uh, recently just mentioned, like the, I didn't know this, but the MLB and the NBA, they have mechanisms where prospects can, can actually opt out. You know, what Logan Mayhew did, uh, is fine, but he was still eligible for the draft. There isn't a way to officially remove yourself so that you can't be picked. That's so that, that is an issue. And, yeah. and I think that that should be fixed because if that really is the case and he wanted to make that step and whether that was actually just him and his PR firm, you know, putting on a face, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really making a judgment on that, but he couldn't officially remove himself to be draft eligible. And I think that's a problem that the league should fix. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and at the end of the day, it, it, even if he was the first overall pick, if there's any kind of shady business going around, I don't want that guy on my team. Straight up. Period. End of story. Yeah. Not on my team. Gone. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, on that note, <laughs> um, 
Let's go to the Seattle draft here. Um, this was an interesting one, too, because we were talking about this last week, Steve, that like there were so many players that were available that we thought, like, okay, maybe they go with Carey Price, maybe they go with uh, Tarasenko. Um, but, like, you know, obviously there were concerns for both of those guys, but uh, with their contracts, and I guess there were injury concerns as well. But... Uh, they didn't end up going that route. They ended up going more for a younger team. They also have a, like a lot of cap space, so it makes me curious to see what they're going to do in free agency because maybe there's more of that. They also didn't do a ton of side deals or, or trades that Vegas did where it's like, we'll pick this guy, um, but you, you give me like this pick um, instead so that we don't take this other guy. So there was none of that. Although that may have been because teams have learned uh, from the biggest draft and they didn't want that to happen again. But I thought literally the yeah. only side deal, just to clarify, Brett, yep. was they chose Arizona from Arizona, Tyler Pitlick, yep. shipped him to Calgary for a 2022 Ford. That yep. was the only side deal that we found out about the next day. Yep, I, I, was, I, was, I was going to get to that, but. Uh, but yeah, that that was a that was the biggest wrinkle and kind of disappointment there because it's like it felt like yeah I understand that teams have learned from that but it felt like Seattle could have at least made a couple of trades like yeah you're probably not getting Shea Theodore you're probably not getting Jonathan Marchessault or Riley Smith that that makes sense but like you you do expect that maybe they'll there were going to be some trades that. Um, that would work out in Seattle's favor, but, and they had an okay draft, but it wasn't like, um, anything to write home about either. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. But I, I think it was pretty clear that it, like with the players that they picked, it was just a bunch of young guys that may be good with the change of scenery, but you know, it's weird too. Cause it's like, I, I don't think this team will be that good, but at the same time we were saying the same thing about Vegas. So, so it's like the Vegas effect. I don't know. Um, we'll see. So I'm going to go, I'm going to read the list of forwards and then each of us are going to give a grade of that. Um, and then we can talk about um, any of those picks in particular. And then I have a few questions as well. Um, so uh, Jordan Everly, which was the Islanders pick. Yanni Gord was the Tampa pick. Jonas Adonskoy was the Colorado pick. Brandon Tanev was the Pittsburgh pick. Callie Yarncrook, which was the Nashville pick. Um, Mason Appleton was the Winnipeg pick. Uh, Nathan Bastian was the New Jersey pick. Uh, uh, Colin Blackwell, which was the Rangers pick. Carson Twarski, which was interesting, was the Philly pick. Um, did I say Jared McCann? I don't, I guess I must have, I didn't say him. Um, but I should have. Jared McCann was the Toronto pick. Um, and then in the my, enough, on, on my list, I marked him down as Pittsburgh because I forgot they got him from the Leafs, so I just <laughs> changed that. <laughs> um, and then um, in the minors, uh, this is according to Cap Geek, uh, Cap Geek, Cap Friendly. Uh, so uh, who knows if they'll make the team or not? But Cole Lind, which was the Vancouver pick, Morgan Geeky, which was the Carolina pick, John Quinville was the Chicago pick, um, and Alex True was the San Jose pick. Um, I'm going, I feel like the, I'm going to give them the, like a B here. Um, I think it, 
like it could have been better. I, I think I would have rather had Tarasenko, but I get why they didn't do that because of the injury concerns and his cap hit. But again, like, you know, with the cap hit stuff, it, like this is a brand new team. They have a lot of money, so they could have afforded it, but okay. So it seems like with with picks like Colin Blackwell, um, uh, you know, uh, Mason Appleton, uh, Colin, Morgan Geeky, um, even Alex True, it, it was like, it felt like, or Nathan Bastian, it felt like, okay, these are picks that, or these are a bunch of guys that are pretty young um, and might turn into something eventually. And then you also have like guys like Yanni Gord, which, you know, Tampa had a lot of players available, but that seemed to be a good pick. Um, so, so there was that. And I, and I also really like the Jared McCann pick, although it's pretty funny because, like, Jared McCann was a Toronto Maple Leaf for, like, a day, and somehow they expose him. Um, but, so I feel like they could have, like, you, you know, I guess overall, like, I would have taken Tarasenko, but I get what they're doing. And, but, like, even still, uh, they could have taken, like, instead of Morgan Geeky, they could have taken Jake Bean. Um, and I, I'll get to uh, the other pick that I thought they should have taken instead. Um, but uh, when we talk about defensemen, but like, so that that's why I'm giving them a B, but they shouldn't be like terrible because I do like Everly, I do like Gord, I do like Blackwell. I also like Appleton a little bit um, and McCann. But, uh, but yeah, it was, so I'll, I'll give them a B. I feel like it could have been better. And then Carson Tworski, I thought that it was pretty clear that it was going to be a trade, but I guess it wasn't. They actually meant to trade. They actually meant to draft Carson Tworski. So let's go uh, to Victor. Um, so to reverse things up here. Yep. Like uh, grading overall, is that, what, is that what we're doing? Oh, we're grading the forwards, yeah. Oh, forwards, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that overall, and you kind of mentioned this, I think the biggest failure that Seattle made was not having more side deals. I mean, what you, what you mentioned wasn't really a side deal. They, they traded, they acquired a guy and then traded him. So there were zero side deals. They didn't get anything from what I understand. They were asking a really high price for all their side deals. And that's why no one took them up on it, which I think is, is, is a massive failure because they could have gotten at least some second round or third round picks. They could have just stocked up with picks for just taking this guy instead of that guy. And I don't think anyone that they took was like, wow, I'm so glad they got him instead of someone else. Like they didn't, I don't think they did such a great job with acquiring these guys. I, I think that I would overall give them probably a, a B minus, uh, maybe a C plus. Uh, I think that, yeah, Everly Gord, fine. Uh, McCann, I think is is probably one of the better players um, as well that they got. And, and I think it's hilarious that what Toronto did protecting him or protecting uh hall instead of mccann like i think that was a really dumb move especially after acquiring him and and sending some assets for that so the guys at the bottom like torinsky they didn't really have a lot to choose from (laughs) from philly so and and yeah alexander true i mean i heard some rumors that they were just going to pass on the sharks altogether (laughs) um just because there weren't really any good options there i i I was thinking they could have taken donato but yeah true true is not a terrible pick there even yeah i mean i was high on donato at first but i think he kind of showed he's he's kind of a borderline nhler at this point Uh, I, I really like Yarncroc. I think that that was 
that was good. And and uh, and I mean, Everly and Gord are really the best picks. I don't really like the Donskoy pick because I think that's way more cap than what he's worth. Um, so I think that that was probably not a great decision. But the obvious thing here is that they didn't really take anyone with a super high cap hit. I mean, even Everly and Gord are you know reasonable for what they provide. And I really like Blackwell and Appleton in particular as low cap hit, high upside guys uh, to really contribute. So, yeah, I think overall my my lack, my dislike for this group is is the overall process in general. And I think they could have had some much higher upside guys. Uh, in fact, I think if they don't sign Landeskog and Hamilton, I think that this was a real failure for them because they they have so much cap space. They could have taken guys like Tarasenko or, you know, signed some bigger, you know, free agents. And um, so far they haven't. So unless they do that, I think it's, I think my grade is going to be much lower. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, um, Steve. Well, I mean, they don't have to spend all of the cap space right away. They can wait for a better free agency class but there there are definitely some pieces on the open market they can get and at least they have the choice they have 30.7 million in cap space that also includes the three ufa names that we'll talk about later that they signed so even including those contracts they still have 30.7 million in cap space which uh yeah I, i think that's one downside i was kind of bummed it was just like wow it's so much boring without the side deals now they they all they got was a fourth for Tyler Pitlick. All right, fine. All right. At least it's 2022 where the draft, uh, where, where the draft pool's a little bit more stacked. So uh, I, anyway, um, I think overall Ford group solid, solid B. Um, part of what made Vegas good, and a lot of people forget about this, is the bottom six group that they had and the hardest working fourth line in hockey that had guys like William Carrier on it and Ryan Reeves on it. Brandon Tanev, Nathan Bastion, guys like that could really make that third line or fourth line very, very tough to play against, a real pain in the ass. So I really like that. Cole Lind and Alex Drew, I think, some decent prospects there. Um, They also have uh, Luke Hemman, who uh, was the first signed prospect for Vegas. Uh, He's a natural center there. Uh, Blackwell and Geeky love those additions. Same with Appleton, same with Yarncroke. Uh, I think in terms of top six guys, you look at Jordan Everlake, Yanni Gord, Jonas Donskoy, Jared McCann, I feel, has got a little of David Perron in him, where, like, he might not look like a consistent top six forward, but he could be. Uh, so overall, yeah, I, I, I like the makeup of the left wing, the right wing, the center. The the amount of experience down the middle outside of Gordon McCann, it's a little suspect at the moment based on workloads and actual face-offs taken. That's, of course, based on this past season. So there there could be other seasons where they have more face-off experience. So I think they could do better down the middle. They definitely have a lot of options on the, the right side of the wing. They don't have as much options to work with on the left side. So that's where they kind of need to work on that. And maybe through free agency, they they work on those areas. So in terms of where everyone fits in, I'm not quite sure. And I'm not quite sure how that will affect the chemistry. But in terms of the guys that they got, overall, I would say a solid B. So Kraken did good. They didn't do great, but they did good. 
uh, from the defensive side of things, we have uh, Mark Giordano, which was kind of surprised. We didn't really talk about that much uh, last week, but yeah, the captain uh, goes uh, to Seattle. I thought there was like he was just going to be traded again the next day, but he wasn't. Uh, Jamie Alexiak, uh, Steve alluded to, he's one of the uh, um, UFAs. Um, he got um, a, a four, five-year, $4.6 million deal there, um, which was a little bit interesting. Um, Adam Larson was the other UFA um, who was the Edmonton pick. Um, he was four years, $4 million, um, as well. Um, Carson Soucy. Uh, Hayden uh, was the Minnesota pick. Oh, uh, I think I mentioned, but Jimmy Olesiak was the t- Dallas pick. Um, Hayden Fleury was the Anaheim pick. Um, uh, Curtis McDermott was the LA Kings pick. Jeremy Lazan was the Boston pick. Vince Dunn was the St. Louis pick. Will Borgen was the Buffalo pick. Dennis Chalowski was the Detroit pick. And then in minors, again, according to Cap Friendly, we have Gavin Bayreuther and Kale Fleury. Um, uh, Bayreuther was the Columbus pick, and Kale Fleury was the Montreal pick. Uh, both Fleury, uh, Hayden, and Kale were um, our brothers, um, and they were both the, the picks there, which, which is weird that it was intentional. Of course, they have no relation to Mark Andre Fleury, um, which was the you know the biggest pick, uh, Pitt, Pittsburgh. Pick, uh, with Mark Andre Fleury, so maybe they were trying to get some juju there, but who knows? Um, I'm actually gonna give this a B minus. Um, I still feel like I mean I'll talk about the good first because I I do like Mark Giordano. Um, I I feel like he could be good here. Um, he's a good player, but a little bit old. Um, and I do like Vince Dunn. Um, he's the best player in this group, but. Uh, I don't understand the Curtis McDermott pick. Um, I don't understand the Carson Soucy pick when you have Capo, like Capo Caco was, uh, not Capo Caco, Capo Kakinen was available. Um, so that made no sense. Uh, Curtis McDermott, you could have taken Kale Clegg instead, um, especially since you're going with young teams. Uh, Kale Clegg was at the time was the best uh, Kings defensive prospect and somehow the Kings exposed him. So so that made no sense. Um, I do like the Jeremy Lazan pick. I, I am gonna miss him in Boston, but um, but at the same time, it's I don't think he's going to be like a, a huge a miss for Boston either. Um, so so I, I'm, I'm okay with that. but like who is G- I didn't even know Gavin Bayreuther even existed. Um, like it was a weird contract for both Larson and Olesiak, so I have to give them a B minus C plus for this. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm giving them a B minus. Oh, let's go with Steve here. Yeah, just so you know, by the way, talk, they do have some UFAs and RFAs. Most of them are in the back end. Bay Ruther is the lone defensive free agent that they have. Only cost seven hundred and ten grand last year, so. Yeah, maybe they keep him. Who really knows? But he's like twenty-seven ish. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if they don't keep him. Um, in terms of defensive RFAs, they have Vince Dunn, who got about one point eight seven five million last year in St. Louis. Uh, Janis Chalowski with the Red Wings, eight hundred ninety-four thousand with Detroit. 
Kale Fleury, 771,000 with Montreal and Will Borgen, he made 864,000 with the Sabres uh, last season. Overall, I would give this defensive core of, again, a solid B. Giordano, immediately to me, captaincy right away. A guy that's been a leader in Calgary. Um, by the way, Vegas took from Calgary Derek England. He uh, became not the de facto leader. He wasn't like the captain, but a very, very solid assistant captain when the, the big Vegas shooting happened in October of 2017. The guy who was kind of like rallying the community together, it was Derek England. So I feel like uh, Giordano can be that leader that this team really, really needs. Um, I also noticed a recurring theme for Seattle. A lot of the defensemen they were drafting are pretty tall, like six foot three or higher tall. Cheney Oleksiak is six foot seven for crying out loud. There are a couple of guys that are like six foot five on the team as well. Not necessarily defensemen, but on the team that are six foot five. Uh, I can understand the Kapakakinen pick taking that uh, that um, player over Susie. Um, I take the Susie pick. I think the Susie pick's a pretty good one that they could have gone for Minnesota. The the only concern is they could have gotten Kakinen. Yeah. Um, but I like Alexiak. I like Giordano and the leadership they provides. Chalowski, um, I think, is pretty decent as well. Adam Larson uh, signing for a lower cap hit than what he was currently making. I like the term. I think that's that's good for an incoming guy. And then you also have names like Kale Fleury and Vince Dunn and Hayden Fleury. Guys that you're, you're talking about the next Shea Theodore. I think one of those four guys could serve as a maybe not Shea Theodore style defenseman, but pretty close. I don't think Vince Dunn and Hayden Fleury have gotten the reps to do that. I think easily one of them could be that guy. And they also, speaking of defensemen, they have four defensemen that can play either side of the blue line. Curtis McDermott, Jeremy Lozon, Hayden Fleury, Vince Dunn. So I think in terms of defensive flexibility, they also have plenty of that. So, yeah, I, I think Ron Francis uh, did a pretty good job. Not a slam dunk home run. You did great. But, again, a good enough job, a solid B. All right. I, I forgot to mention that uh, Jake Bean uh, should have been the Carolina pick. Um, so right. that, that no, also, I, no, I think he did, but yeah. Yeah, that, oh, I said that in the forward group, but yeah. In the yeah, the forward group, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that that also soured me on this decor. It's like, yeah. really? You could have taken Jake Bean. I mean, not, not, I mean, Morgan Geeky has, he had that stint like two years ago, but um, but yeah, Jake Bean should have been the pick there. Uh, Victor, what's your stance? Well, on? I hate to disagree, but I'm giving them a D. I think that... Mm. It was very bad. I think for several reasons. I, I Giordano, yes, of course, agree with you 100%. Alexiak also like that, and Adam Larson like that. So I think that they have some decent defenders. I'm not saying that, but, you know, okay, you look at Carson Susie, I agree, probably should have been capping him, but I think it came to a decision of do they like Susie or Justin Schultz better? And so they went... Susie, yeah. which I think was probably smart because he's got some underrated offensive skills and isn't awful defensively, although he's not great. 
And I, I, although I think Kakanen's better than Banachek, so it was a tough decision for them. Uh, the Fleury brothers, cool story. I don't think either of them are great at hockey, so <laughs> that's tough. Um, but, you know, maybe they come around. Curtis McDermott, if they want guys that um, are good at punching people in the face, then I guess he's a good pick for that. But he's really bad at everything else, mostly hockey. And they had some great options from L.A. You know, Gunstrom. They also had Kale Clay, who I think they should have taken, like Brett said. Um, also, some younger guys like Jacob Mubrer, who has some upside. So, you know, there was some stuff there. With, with Detroit, they, you know, I get that Dennis, Dennis Chalowski is a younger defenseman that has shown some promise, but he's been objectively bad for the last two years. I mean, you're talking about Corsi against two and a half standard deviations below the mean expected goals two and a half two standard deviations below the mean that's just really bad I, I i don't i don't know that he's gonna recover from that i like the done pick i also would have taken tarasenko that was who i selected in my mock but i think one of the biggest things oh and gavin very rather i don't think he's a great pick either but they didn't have good options so he's a guy who yeah, maybe fair. be okay defensively but I think the biggest thing is who they could have taken, right? I mean, I think that's one of the, the biggest issues. The fact that they didn't take Dylan DeMello from Winnipeg, who is no, clearly a top-pairing defenseman, shut-down guy in the league with a good cap hit and is just fantastic. Like, I don't understand any universe why they didn't take, especially without a side deal. When they left him exposed, I was like, okay, there's got to be a side deal here because that's a no-brain pick for the Jets, and not that Appleton is bad, because I think he's a decent pick, but that and the fact they didn't take Jake Bean, and I know that Ron Francis drafted both Geeky and Bean, so maybe he knows something that we all don't. I'm fully okay with that option, but I question that. I also, as much as I like Cole Lind, I think Brogan Rafferty is would have been a I nice option for Vancouver. Yeah. Okay. So for me, it's so much about who they could have taken. They had so many good options, for other guys that they could have, uh, I think, improved their team more and had some really nice young yeah. options uh, for their for their blue line. So some of them were pretty good picks, but they really fell down, I think, with some of the guys they passed on, and that's why I'm giving them a bad grade. So if if they so excluding who they could have taken overall as this D core, do you think they're a D or do you think they're like a C plus? If I, if I look at who they're probably start on opening night, I think that they're probably, um, I think that they're probably like a B minus C plus group. Okay. I think that, I think that they can hang. I, I don't, yeah, I don't get behind that. Especially the top four. I think if you mm -hmm. look at Giordano, Alexiak, Larson, Susie, that's actually a pretty solid top four. And he's yeah. done in there. And, uh, you know, maybe a face puncher McDermott. Um, you know, I, I think it could be a pretty tough yeah. group to play against, though. I wonder how I wonder how Lausanne much of this was centered the, around if we're too. going toe to toe with Ryan Reeves, who do we want protecting our stars? <laughs> right, right, right. That's possible. <laughs> the Tom Wilson effect. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Uh, so then goalies, uh, Chris Dreiger, uh, he signed. He was the other UFA who signed. Uh, Three years, three point five million, which is a pretty nice deal because he was he was pretty good for Florida and kept them. He was the better goaltender than uh, Bobrovsky last year, so um, it'll be interesting to see how he does when Seattle will be a, a 
have a worse defense than Florida does. So that'll be interesting. Vitek Vanacek um, is the Washington pick. Uh, for the same reason, like he, he kind of kept the Capitals in it uh, for most of the games last year and kind of proved that he was uh, capable for more starts. But you get why Washington was able to expose him um, because uh, they have Samsonov um, instead. Um, and Joey Decord is in the minors currently, but he was the Ottawa pick. And I know Steve loves this guy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, this one was an interesting one too. I, um, I'll give this one a B. I like both Vanacek and Dreiger have a chance. I, I tried not, to, I, I know what Victor was thinking. I'm trying not to think of like, yes, you, they probably could have taken Bishop. They could have taken Kakanen. They could have taken, uh, even Carey Price, but like given what they have now, I, I think it, it could be pretty solid. Um, like I could see these guys being um, their starting goaltender for for a little bit um, here, um, but we'll see. Um, so that's why I'm giving them a B. But um, but yeah, it might downgrade to a B minus maybe eventually. Um, yeah, uh, let's go to Victor here. Yeah, I mean, I think that I really like the signing of Dreger. I think that he's probably their opening night starter. Uh, I we, we already talked about Banachek. I, I think that Kakanen would have been a better pick, but you know that's not terrible. And Decord, they they also I think the biggest thing that if if you just look at these three, it's fine. Like I think I think you know it's maybe it's not great. None of them are really proven for long term, so it's probably more like a C C plus in terms of who their goalies actual are. But I think the thing is that they could have taken a lot more goalies, sort of like what Vegas did with all those defensemen and then trade them. Like they could have taken five or six goalies, stocked up on them and then held the market ransom. Actually, for. I think there was like a minimum requirement of defensemen they could take and forwards that they could take. So I, I think they could have taken four, but I don't think they could have like taken six or three because then they wouldn't have enough defensemen or forwards. Yeah. There, yeah. There were minimums, but they could have gone over with, with, either full forward goalie or D and they, they didn't go over with their D they oh, went I see over with the forward. Oh, so okay. they could have taken more. Um, but that's fine. I think that there weren't like amazing options. I don't mind them not taking price. I think that that's, uh, that's a big cap hit yeah. to swallow. And, and if we learn nothing from Seattle, what they're obviously trying to do is give themselves the most cap flexibility, which I think is probably smart. It really just depends on how Ron Francis uses it. So the, the jury's still out on that. I definitely think a guy like Ingram in Nashville has some upside. That would have been an interesting pick. Not that I hated, you know, who they took. I think Aaron Kruk is good. I, I think Decord has some upside. I'm sure Steve's going to talk about him. Um, but I think that overall they did they did pretty well with their goalies who they selected. I just feel like they could have um, they could have done a little bit more. And Kakinen, I. Kakinen versus Vanacek is going to be something to follow for years because I, I still think that he's the much better goalie. And I, even though what I said before about Susie over Schultz, I still think that they could have found a way to take Kakinen and that would have made a whole lot more sense to me. Yeah, it's a, it's been a, it was a bad week for uh, Kakinen because first he gets exposed by Minnesota and then they take Wallstead in, in the draft. So it's like, what's going on with, with uh, Kakinen? Um, yeah. Steve, uh, what's what's your grade on the goalies? It's hovering between a B minus and a C plus. 
And it's mostly because they're basing, I feel like they're basing most of this off of one season. And obviously it's unfair to grade Joey Decord off of one season because he's a goaltending prospect. And I've said it on Victor's podcast. I'm pretty sure I've said it on this one. He's going to be a star of the future. You just watch. Ron Francis really nailed that pick. I'm disappointed that Joey is no longer on the Sens. I really like everything that he provides, and he's going to be good for Seattle. I'm very confident in that. However, Vitek Vanacek, prior to this season, was an AHL goalie. And yes, he did well in Washington. Yes, he held his own, but it's one season. Chris Drieger, prior to this year, pretty capable backup. Did very well this year. Again, this is based off of one full season. I honestly don't know if I can look at either Drieger or Vanacek and say, I'm comfortable with them starting games for me over a full, normal 82-game schedule. Especially when you're giving Drieger $3.6 million per year to be the starter, I'm glad it's only three years. Because if it was any more than that, I would be very, very nervous if I'm Ron Francis in the Seattle Kraken. I don't I – see, I see Drieger as a capable 1B backup. I don't know if he is a capable 1A starter or anything above that, which is why I'm kind of shocked that they didn't take Bishop. But to take Alexiak, I guess I kind of understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, eh. It, it could be worse, but I think they could have done better with the goaltending. So, for those reasons, yeah, B-minus to C-plus, it's hovering around that range for me. Yeah, I would, have, I would have taken Bishop, too, but I think it's like it's probably the same reason as Tarasenko. There are some injury concerns there. Although Bishop's uh, cap hit isn't as bad, but maybe there's, like, there is a, a idea that, like, Bishop may never be the same, so mm-hmm. so I, I I get why they didn't do that. Although I probably would have, I would probably would have taken Bishop um, if I. Were I am glad they didn't take Carey Price. And the cap yep. is just too high for that. But no, no, they're, they're better. They're better off keeping the cap space on. Yeah, I I think uh, there was a potential that like you could market Carey Price in that sense. Oh yeah, but but 100%. it was definitely the smart decision long term. Um, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, he did have that playoff run, but it, um, uh, conveniently he's not injured apparently anymore. So, um, <laughs> there were reports that he was, he needed a uh, surgery that was going to leave him off, uh, for the full season, but then it turns out, okay, he's perfectly fine and should be ready to go. Uh, very convenient of this Montreal Canadiens team. Um, <laughs> if, it, if it was a case where Price has two years yep. left on his deal, I'd be more open to that. But he's got five yep. out of ten million cap hit. Too much. Yep. Too much for me. Fair. Um, uh, in terms of anything else, so I have some questions here. I'm gonna skip a few, mm-hmm. just for time. Uh, yep. But uh, so I guess the first question is: Will this team be any good? Uh, where in the, or this year? Where in the Pacific Division do we see them finishing? Um, they're definitely not good, but, uh, but again, I kind of said the same thing about Vegas, so who knows? Also, I think what works in their advantage, to their advantage, is the Pacific Division isn't good either. Um, other than Vegas and maybe Edmonton, um, there, there aren't really too many good teams there. 
the California, I, I do think that I have a prediction, an early prediction that one of these California teams might surprise. Um, and, you know, and who knows, maybe Daryl Sutter will, uh, with a full year under his belt, will be able to coach Calgary into being a playoff team. Uh, Vancouver just got Connor Garland in OEL. Um, so who knows with them, but, um, but yeah, I think they, they could maybe sneak into the third spot, but, um, but at the same time, it like wouldn't surprise me if they're like dead last in the division. Uh, so let's go to Steve first here. Uh, I think again, as I mentioned, they're going to be contending for a wild card spot. Best case scenario, they're thirds. But again, like Anaheim's in a deep, dark rebuild. I think the Kings are average. Victor Sharks, not sure what to expect. And then it's coin toss between the Canadian teams. So anything goes, honestly, especially with the size of the defense. I think they're going to play a very structurally defensive sound game. And I think they're going to need that plus their goaltending to win a lot of games because I'm not really sure where their goals are going to come from. But I don't think they're going to be outrageously bad. I think they're going to be in the hunt and they're going to at least make things interesting and they'll make it a good run. Um, And then we'll see what happens in April. Uh, Victor? Yeah, I agree. They're probably a borderline you know, contending playoff team. I, I yeah, that, <laughs> of course, it's the fact that the Pacific is so bad, not that they, I, I think that they're going to be good. Um, I, I definitely think that they can finish ahead of the Sharks and Ducks. Um, probably could certainly be competitive with the other teams too. So, I mean, it's pretty open. Uh, I, I, I think the other thing playing in their favor is Dave, is Hackstall, their coach, is, you know, kind of used to coaching young guys and you know coming from the college system and then being in Philly like I think that he could actually be a really good coach for this team uh, sort of like Gallant was for that first year in Vegas so I think that they you know might be able to rally around that and, and actually you know have some pretty decent uh, compete level and the fact that they're going to have a pretty soft schedule is going to help a lot so yeah, I don't think they're going to be great. I think when they play teams outside of the division, they're probably going to get hammered a little bit by some of the better teams. But, uh, yeah, they, they definitely will be in the hunt, and it'll be kind of a fun story to, to watch. Yeah, and, and to Victor's point, when we started this uh, segment, uh, like, they they are still under the cap, so we, we, we should wait to see what they do in free agency because they have to. Mm-hmm. Like, even though even if they don't get Lana Skog or Dougie Hamilton um, – there has to be some other thing that's in play. So, so maybe they have to get over the cap space. So they, they may not be done just yet. Um, I doubt it's trading for Jack Eichel, but yeah, yeah, yeah. they're, they're probably going to have some plans in mind. <laughs> That'd be funny if they get Jack Eichel, <laughs> that might be a worse situation for, uh, for Eichel. Probably the only team that would be worse for Jack Eichel. Um, so yeah, so we'll see. Um, the uh, oh, and the last question, I guess, because I I kind of was alluding to it when we were talking about Matty Beniers. Uh Will he play this season? Um, I was thinking, yeah, probably he does. Of the draft class, it does seem like he's um, the most NHL ready. Um, however, I do get what you guys are saying that he 
um, you know, he could be served to play another year in, in Michigan. And it's not like, as we were mentioning, it's not like Seattle's going to be any good and uh, they don't necessarily need him, even though their center depth is pretty slim. So so I wouldn't be surprised if we see Matty Beniers uh, this year, but maybe after Michigan is over, uh, season's over and not, um, not right away on opening day. So, uh, Victor, uh, is that... Fair to a fair assessment. Yeah, I definitely think Beniers needs another year. I think that he could, but there's what's the point of having him play for Seattle this year? I think that he's NHL ready, and if they were like competing and needed his presence on like a third line, kind of like what he did for USA at the World Juniors, kind of playing up a level and providing some value in the depth. Uh, he could certainly do that for Seattle, but do they really need him to is the question. So uh, I think that we'll see. It's, it's possible that, uh, you know, he, he, he gets a long look at camp and he could really impress everybody. I expect he will. Uh, I just don't understand it from Seattle's perspective. Like, there's, what's the point of rushing him? Let him dominate college one more year um, and, and kind of go from there. And, and don't rush your, your star prospect, uh, especially right off the gate. I think that we've seen Ron Francis have patience with his prospects in Carolina, and I would expect, and I think he should do that with Veneers. Yeah. Uh, Steve? Yeah, pretty much what Brett said. If he appears for Seattle, it means he's turned pro and his time in Michigan is done. The latest I can see that happening is end of the year when the college season is over. Um, and, you know, whenever he turns pro, the only place to really put him is the AHL or, like, overseas if <laughs> if, if they want to be bold. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I keep him in the NCAA for now, let him start there, see where we're at in, like, March. And if he's, if he's all ready to turn pro, if he feels comfortable with turning pro, then you make that call. You see what he's got in the, in the NHL, and if he's not ready for the AHL, or for the NHL, then you stash them in the AHL and, and, and go from there in terms of player development. But, yeah, for the most part, NCAA is where he plays this year. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so, that yeah, I guess he doesn't have the luxury because he plays in college that, like, it's not like uh, if he was in an OHL or yeah. a CHL, any CHL team um, – he couldn't just like take the nine games and then uh, go back to his minor team. But like in college, they have a strict uh, thing where you can't sign a contract uh, with an NHL team and then go back to college. So, so that's something that couldn't work. But if he was in the CHL, it could work possibly, yeah. um, which could be interesting. I wonder if maybe he'll go to the QMJHL just just because for that reason. Uh, which would be funny. Uh, but um, anyways, uh, so that about does it for us here. Um, our, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace em Up. Our Facebook is Lace em Up. Oh, sorry, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Uh, I, I kept on retweeting all the, all the big trades and all that stuff too. So we'll, we'll do that next week. Uh, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Um, thank you, Victor. Uh, we appreciate you uh, sticking it out with us. Um, uh, we appreciate, and especially since it's like afternoon for you here um, there. So 
we always will will always uh, be uh, happy to to have you here. So uh, thanks again. Um, and yeah, um, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm oh. Steve Valser. We'll talk again in episode 280 of the Lace Up Podcast. And uh, Victor, uh, where where can people find your work? Oh yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Victor Nuno 12 on Twitter, and check out the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast wherever you find your podcast. We're doing a whole off season episode of, of every team, kind of breaking down uh, their pro and minor system. And uh, starting next weekend, we're going to do two full, four full episodes, two weekends full of draft talk. So we're going to bring awesome. on some really cool guests: Cam Robinson, Will Scouch, and Byron Bader are going to come on and individually talk. Uh, all about the top prospects, who they like better than others, and why. So uh, definitely check that out, and check out your favorite team's uh, uh, episode as well. Yeah, especially the Ottawa Senators, where Steve was the guest here. So uh, Yeah, I'll be tuning into that one for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, see you guys.